right? Yeah, because your trailer board's not correct here. Welcome to Hammer Factor episode 82. My name is John Grace, producer here at the show. I'd like to int- uh, introduce my co-host, John Weld, co-owner of Immersion Research and Policy Director for the Outdoor Alliance, Lewis Geltman. Boys, we got a hell of a show lined up. We got Matt Porter, who's the product manager at Coquitat. We have Sage Donnelly, former or I think current under 21 paddler of the year, female paddler of the year. Um, gosh, we got a trip report from Fantasy Falls coming. We've got some big <laughs> Hammer Factor announcements. Oh, it's just fire all around. Well, can we have somebody from, from Kokotat on? We're not like engaging in some cartel activity here or something like that. Or it's you all think it's like uh... a... <laughs> yeah, it's like what's the word I'm looking for? Collusion? Is that is that what you're thinking? Yeah, it probably can't be collusion on a podcast, right? Would be some pretty pretty weak collusion. Anyway, right, we'll see. I'm not sure how. Yeah, no, I, I I couldn't be more excited about this. Come on, Coquitat. They have been around for ages. They've got an interesting ages. story. Uh, there was a time when they were fully mail order, and then they went back into retail and. They got they were blue puma. They got sued by Puma. I mean, yeah, I don't want to. I, I don't want to bust the story. Layering piece. That was like my first. It was like sky blue. I still have a blue puma that my dad had that gave to me. Yeah. So maybe yeah. I'll create an NFT for that. That moves me into some news. <laughs> that moves me into some news. I don't think you understand NFTs. That's my gut feeling on that. <laughs> the, so the the very first the it hammer seems... factor the hammer mm-hmm. factor is putting the very first episode up for sale, an NFT that you'll be able to bid on as soon as this show's live. You'll have, I'll probably put it up there 72 hours. I've got the price set as a minimum of one-tenth of an Ethereum token. So about 250 bucks <laughs> is your minimum bid. And all of the proceeds are going to go to American Whitewater. So this is your chance. If you're a crypto geek or into any of this stuff, like I have been down the rabbit hole the last month or two, go get your first ever NFT offering of episode one. You will own the rights to it forever. And the way I've got it set up is you will get a 10% royalty in perpetuity forever on that NFT. Thank you. So (laughs) what do you guys think about that? Uh, I, I feel like every time I hear about NFTs, I'm like, I'm like, I think I understand this, but it seems so stupid that I can't possibly understand it. Well, it's just, a, <laughs> I mean, it's a digital license is all it is. I think I mean, when I, Nick's got rid of the gold standard, that was when this whole thing started to go downhill. <laughs> what is currency? Let's not be changed with the cross of gold, Wells. What's that? <laughs> Nothing. Um, um, what was... Um, I mean, it makes sense to me as like, like, I don't know, like being able to buy and then resell digital music or something like that. But just like the idea that there's this like one digital object, it just seems so silly. I don't get it. 
Yeah. If this was a different show, I could like get into it. But anyway, we have uh, we have that. That'll be on the website. Check it out. Um, it's going to be for sale through Rarible, which is one of the. You can use everything from Coinbase to CoinDesk to whatever you want to to purchase it there. <laughs> What? It's gonna be badass. You watch. I, this thing's gonna go for like multi thousand dollars. You watch. There's hey, there's somebody with a Coinbase wallet on their phone. They bought Ethereum when it was five dollars. It's like three thousand dollars or something right now. And they're gonna be like, what the heck? A tenth of an Ethereum? I'll throw that on there. No problem. I'll cash it out and give it to AW. I'm trying Maybe to you're right. I'm, I'm, about I'm this. interested to see how this goes. We're going to see. We'll see how it goes. Anyway, check the show notes for that. Um, other Hammer Factor news. Hammer Factor is going to be with the return of the North Fork Championship doing live coverage. So you'll be able to watch the North Fork Championship live this year. So, no way. Like same as the Green Race. Same as the Green Race. We're going to go out there and get it all set up in, uh, in a big way. I mean, we spent a ton of time building that platform and there's all kinds of benefits for for that to be done um, that's sick man that's exciting i have not seen or heard that anywhere i feel like that race needs that and it's like it's so conducive to it just being you know like a shorter course where you can cover the whole thing like that's sick and logistically it's super hard there's a road on one side there's a railroad track on the other side getting a signal out of there is like it's going to be a fun challenge but anyway we'll be out there are you going to come lewis I'm not going to race, but uh, Darby's fired up. So I think I'll probably come over and like boat caddy or whatever, whatever she needs. Dude, we'll put you on the, we'll put you on the live coverage, dude. You can be a guest commentator. Yeah, dude, that'll be fun. Um, but I think that's about it um, on the hammer factor front, which that's quite a lot. I think yeah, that's I, I think that's pretty much breaking news there about the NFC Live. So whenever this goes out, it may not be breaking news by the time I get it actually published. But pretty much, you guys are hearing it before anybody else. So, so Lewis, word on the streets: you got a Fantasy Falls trip. Oh yeah, yeah. We had a bit of an epic down there for sure. Um, I don't know. It's been it's been in a bunch this spring, or like maybe people just figured out going earlier and i know Stu Sperry and hale and some other folks were like hiking in before the road opened but uh yeah we got down there um i don't know two weeks ago i guess and yeah we had an epic it was uh it was snowing like hard when we were driving over the pass we were planning to do the uh you know like the two and a half day like put on late in the afternoon get through the mank section camp kind of like right above the trv gorge and then do one more night but we got to the point in it was snowing like a thousand feet above us it was pretty late in the day we were like yeah let's just put on the morning and do a two-day um pretty long day pretty rugged weather camped um a little above rifleman's and i don't know like hammering rain and sleet and just like pretty pretty grovelly and then the next morning, it's, uh, I don't know, we get down to Rifleman's in five or ten minutes, and uh, the old Stoutmeister uh, dislocates <laughs> his shoulder, kind of kind of in the crux of, of Rifleman's, which is, 
Yeah, it was a bummer. Um, you know, like he had a super good line, just kind of like took a little tiny brace off the wall, and it was enough to pop his shoulder out. Um, got him out. I mean, he didn't even flip, but got him out, you know, right below that kind of crux drop. But it's still pretty, pretty locked in right de- there. So we were kind of on this little ledge on the side of the river. Um, I got his shoulder back in, which was sweet. Hmm. Um, like, were you there with him on that ledge or? Yeah, it was like a little gully down to the river. And uh, I don't know, there was like, you know, room to stand around a bit, but still pretty locked in. We couldn't really get up like out of the inner gorge there. Um, <laughs> you, so, can go to the, you can go to the uh, California police website or Facebook page and see an edit of this whole thing, by the way sweet <laughs> can you really yeah oh, i'll link to that in the show notes check that out yeah uh yeah <laughs> so, so i mean, a video of the helicopter you can see geltman and darby sitting there and i assume ian also i can sort of pick out ian there yeah so got Ian's shoulder back in but there was really like no way to get out of there on foot um you know you just scooped his story well What's that? You just oh, scooped, we, scooped we, we, story. <laughs> oh, no, that's all right. So, yeah, so, I mean, so we had to uh, fire up the old inReach, and uh, the CHP helicopter came and, and got Ian out of there, um, which was, I don't know. I mean, it's it's uh, that was the first time I've ever been a part of anything like that on the river. Um, you know, it, it never feels good to have to, like, call in outside help like that you know like you always want to be self-sufficient and it always sort of feels like you know like a black eye for kayakers when when you have to do something like that but it definitely seemed like the right decision you know I mean, we got like when your shoulders out you're in a lot of pain and then you know like once you get it back in it's you know the pain goes way down but your shoulder is just like freaking out and there's there's no way you can really paddle at all and um you know, the run out from there is like, you know, class four plus, and there was really no way to get around there on foot. So it, uh, yeah, it kind of felt like the, the thing to do. So how they, did they put a rope right down to that ledge? Did you like ascend out of that area to another like drop? They, they came with a helicopter lowered, uh, like the, you know, like a search and rescue guy dropped him. He like hung out for a minute, got Ian all prepped, the helicopter came back, like long lined Ian out, flew him out to, I don't know, I think to Bear Valley. And, you know, like the search and rescue guy hung out with us for like, I don't know, 20 minutes or 30 minutes while they were making the round trip with Ian. And it was good chatting with the guy. I mean, you're like watching the helicopter come in and you're just like, this is so cool. <laughs> you know, like, I hope these guys are not like, like, I hope these guys appreciate how cool this job is. And the guy, the guy who was hanging out and chatting with us definitely did. He was like, yeah, you know, there's like three guys at my fire station who are trained to do this. And I hope they don't train anybody else. Like, this is so sick. You know, like, I just take a picture of him next to the rapid, <laughs> you know, I mean, not to, not to like act like it's no big deal to have to, you know, call in the helicopter, but at least you feel better about it knowing that the guys who are doing it are stoked. So what was the dude thinking? Was he like asking about what you were in there kayaking? Did he have experience pulling kayakers out? Was there any interesting points of conversation? Um, I mean, he definitely didn't seem like, I mean, he was just sort of, I don't know. He's like, seemed like a, just like a young bro. I mean, like mountain biker, like guy who lives in Myers, like definitely somebody who's kind of part of the culture. And, uh, I mean, he wasn't really like, 
you know, grilling us on the white water too much, but he was just like, yeah, it's sick country out here. It's cool to be, cool to be in here. <laughs> Appreciate it, fellas. Yeah. Ian's driving so, back this weekend, I think, to get his boat and paddle out of there. Yeah, he told me that. That's cool. I'm, I'm, I hope he, uh, I hope he gets it sorted and figures out how to get the boat out of there. Yeah, he borrowed that boat. <laughs> he borrowed yeah. Oh, that's the worst. <laughs> Another guy works at IR. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, we like the next, you know, that day we were like hoping to get down to the lake and it's like, you know, I spent three hours dealing with that and it's getting pretty late in the day and we kind of realized we're not going to make it to the lake and we're like, all right, well, we don't have a ton of food, but, you know, at least I have like the better part of the fifth of bourbon and like, we'll be all right. We like get down to camp and I take out my stuff. Like the cap has come off the bottle of old crow and like every ounce of it has soaked into my sleeping bag. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just like, like this trip is cursed, you know, <laughs> like what can you do at that point but laugh, right? And like, you know, we have like two packages of ramen, one of which gets spilled into the fire. <laughs> it, was like, it was, it was a grovelier fantasy falls experience that I've had in the past for sure, but it's still good to be out there and, you know, just an all time place to go kayaking for sure. So what's the report from Stoutmaster? What's he, what's he got to say, Weld? Um, I mean, I, well, if we, we, we could have begin to talk on to talk about it, if you like. Uh, I, I think he's going to be fine. That's the first. Have you guys, you, I, Lewis, I know you have. Uh, Grace, you dislocated your shoulder? No, negative. Yeah. I subluxed mine in Mexico. It was out for like a, a second and went back in. And I saw my kayaking career flash before my eyes. Oh, it's but, the scariest thing. Uh, I mean, Ian's back at work. Seems, I mean, I think he's sore for sure, but he has pretty good mobility. He's out of a sling. Does he need surgery? I don't think so. Oh, he's looking awesome. for to get an MRI. There's some debate about whether you should get an MRI or not. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, you know, like when your shoulder comes out, like 90% of the time, you tear your labrum. Right. And it's like, you know, like 90% of the time, if your shoulder comes out once, I mean, it's going to come out again. And it's like, you know, it's probably worth trying to rehab it one time before you have shoulder surgery. But that's, you know, more likely than not the direction you're heading. But I don't know. Maybe Ian's the exception. I hope so. Oh, that's He's epic. <clears throat> so now that was a free helicopter trip, wasn't it? It was. That was interesting to me because, you know, if it's the police, it's free. But if you get life flight, it's it's really costly. And then I found out, and you guys probably know this. I think I guess I knew this, but I forgot about it. You can get life flight insurance for thirty dollars a year. Really? really? Yeah. And you know, if you think about it, it's not just for kayaking. Like you could be in a car accident in the middle of the cascade somewhere and be like life lighted, you know? Um, or mountain biking somewhere and get life lighted. Or any of this crazy shit we're doing, you know, skiing or whatever. That seems to be not a bad deal. Hmm. Yeah, I, this I didn't see the thirty dollar price quote myself, but um, the guy who told me seemed to know what he was talking about, and that's what, he says he has, and that's what he pays. So maybe there's more, some, some more fine print to that. But I'm gonna look into that. And I mean, another thing, like kind of a takeaway from me for all of this is like you know, like the um, the thing that happened was like the one medical emergency that I feel most qualified to deal with. You know, like putting me so many times, but I like I got to take a woofer, man. Like I really, I want that. I want that expertise. You know, it just oh, feels loose not to have it. It's so good when you're in a situation like that. 
It's uh, ooh. <clears throat> well, good on you. It's good, good to hear Stoutmaster's doing better. Stoutmeister. Stoutmeister. Fantasy Falls, man, what a good run. Did you have any like good moments out there? Just feel it in oh, any yeah. of the gorges or like any standout whitewater events? Or did we run oh, Untouchables? There were no Untouchables runs. That is such a stout rapid. I, I'm excited to have Sage on in a minute to chat about it, but it is so stout. Dude, her line was so amazing. Just like... Yeah, I mean... I mean... That rapid is so gnarly. I mean, that's... And that's got to be... I, I would say the two gnarliest things I've ever seen run in person are Untouchables and Sides Ed. And I, I would... If gun to my head, which one would I run? Like, I don't know. <laughs> um, I've walked it six times. I've stood on top of it six times and walked it every time. So you never you never walked back up to run it again to perfect your line? <laughs> no, I haven't quite done that. But I'm almost inspired to go out there, you know. Dean and Dylan Thompson yeah. style. Yeah. Have you been watching I know this is a tangent, but have you seen I mean Dean is just on a fucking tear mm. eh? like the tomahawk off cherry bomb did you see that oh yeah oh yeah uh, i mean but savage we could go into a whole show about what dane is doing in a kayak right now we, we need to have dane we've never i mean he's like been on briefly maybe that we have him in for a sit down eh we'll have him on like pre-green race to get in his head about the four minutes thing because it's eating at him so I feel like all of the things that I want to talk to Dane about on the Hammer Factor, the Green Race is kind of low on the list, man. I got to say. Well, you can you can talk <laughs> about the other stuff. I'm just going to talk about the Green Race. All right, so we're kind of running a little late here, Lewis. Do you have any very important policy updates for us that we should dive into? Uh, I mean, I don't have anything I like need you guys to do right now. I mean, I have stuff to talk about if you want to talk about it, but if we're hustling on to other matters we can yeah we're, we're a little late getting matt porter on what was up with that dude climbing out from under deb holland's desk did you get that link i, I sent you the other day i got the link but i didn't watch it i'm sorry yeah <laughs> i'm afraid to click on those things because i'm afraid you're gonna have some you're, this is gonna spiral into some kind of conspiracy theory <laughs> what are you talking about i don't know you got your finger on that a little bit too hard that that the pulse of that whole scene on, well, did you read that article I sent you guys about uh, about outdoor retailer and the big gear show? Do you have any thoughts yeah. on that? Yeah, we're going to talk about that with, with, with when we get mad on here in just a minute. Yeah. But also that cool. text that you sent me about the whole Q thing, I called that four years ago. You did. That's what I said. You guys John are... Grace has been on it from the beginning that QAnon is a new religion. Are we going to talk about – let's talk about – no QAnon. Are we going to talk about our uh, – actually, this is – Maybe just as bad. Are down Lewis and I doing downwinding paddling now? Are Lewis talking and doing downwinding paddling? Ah, here we Is go. that what we call it? Downwinding paddling? Yeah, here we go. Surfski. Downwinding. I, yeah. I bring up a one wheel and you guys gag and now we're getting to a sport you I don't know. even know so what to say. I, I, I hit up Weld last night, like last possible minute at like 5 o'clock to see if you go and he was already going to go ride his gravel bike up a hill or something. But I went out with... Uh, my buddy Don, and it was definitely, I mean, I'm like 20 days into this pursuit, but it was for sure the best day I've had out there. It was so sick, man. It's like six to eight foot waves, like, you know, the whole way from, I mean, probably 
halfway from like Drano to the White Salmon Mouth. What kind of distance like it was is that? Blowing. What's that? What kind of distance is that? Maybe like seven miles. Okay. Um, it's like it's just cool, man. I'm just I'm into it. It was like I. I don't know, like Don looked at the like wind gauge after we got done and I guess it was blowing like mid thirties to gusting like at fifty. Which like if I'd seen that before we went out, I'd probably would have been too scared to go, but it was actually like super manageable and like really sick. And just what do you do if you get your surf ski sideways to that wind? Like how do you straighten it back out? Yeah, it has like a foot rudder. So it, Yeah, it's got a rudder. I, that, that really wouldn't happen, I don't think, unless you're completely out of control. God, I've been on open bodies of water in like a kayak before and like, I don't know. That's Yeah, the rudder makes a big difference. Like I remember doing, we did this race a while ago that involved like crossing the Columbia from the White Salmon to the Hood River event site and I was paddling a wild water boat and it was windy and it was just like, like the entire way across the Columbia was just like right sweeps trying to keep mm-hmm. the boat yeah, from you know, spinning that's, in the that's, wind. That's and like the Surskis, I think they're like, they're lower like the deck's lower so they don't catch the wind so badly and then the rudder you know has like a foot rudder it makes a huge difference yeah you just peg the foot rudder to one side and just paddle just hammer i'm intrigued i'll admit it i'm intrigued you guys are in the spot for it i mean there's nowhere else you're gonna be able to jam like like yeah I'm i'm like one step closer to being like colorado dad paddler you know what i mean just don't just don't think about it man you just like colorado dad i'm not i don't I know that this is like a tool bag pursuit and that I'm deeply uncool for liking it, but like it's, it's, it's fucking fun. <laughs> it's like the guy who was like hot shit in the nineties, like 1990 Gore Canyon dagger response. And now he, instead of like whitewater, maybe he does like, <clears throat> like, he a, got, he's a, one year, like a 300 mile flat water paddle with his buddies. Right. Like on the Rio Grande water boats. <laughs> And they take raw almonds. That's what they eat for dinner, right? It's like raw almonds. And then it's like you're on the campsite, and I'll be like, dude, I can't eat four of my almonds. Do you want one of these, Trask? And Trask will be like, no, dude, I'm stuffed. I'm stuffed. These are awesome almonds. Where'd you get them? I'd be like, oh, I got them. Dude, sick. And then we get done, and we go to a Mexican restaurant, and four of us would split like two entrees, split a margarita four ways. <clears throat> that dude oh my god and i'd be like <clears throat> dude i gotta go because my seven-year-old has nordic practice at like 4 a.m tomorrow maybe <laughs> <laughs> sick i'm like yeah it's sick we did like a vo2 max was an unborn fetus and we knew where he was going he doesn't even know he could see in a mountain they'd be like sick <laughs> that's kind of like flying into it that's, that's what i feel like oh god all right, well, there you go. I mean, I can kind of see that. Like, just in the look through this screen, I can see that becoming, I mean, I don't know, product of the time. I don't know. It's like, to me, it's like, it's like, I don't think you have to go that direction with it. It's like you're just surfing waves, you know? Like, I don't know. Like, if you want to start VO2, testing your VO2 max, you can do that. But, like, <laughs> I don't you can know. wear a heart rate monitor for one thing. <laughs> I knew you were going to bring that up. You wear a heart rate monitor list. And he's a wink. Yeah, he has like a wink heart rate oh, monitor. God. So we, we put on. I mean, this is the thing, right? So we put on, right? And it's like Lewis 
and like Andrew McEwen, who's won the Texas Water Safari. We put on and they just disappear, like carried away like an unseen wind. And it's just me sitting out there with like cargo ships floating by. Right. And then like an hour later, I see like, I see like Andrew paddling towards me, like a little dot on the horizon paddling towards me. He loops around me. And he's like, how's it going? I'm like, it's going great. Thank you. <laughs> gone. <laughs> the thing is, like, Andrew is as far ahead of me as I am of well, probably more so. Like, in, like, another, like, three sessions, you and I are going to be, like, neck and neck. Well, and Andrew's still going to be gone. But, like, we'll, we can we can chit-chat and keep an eye on each other. <laughs> well, I still have the boat. So I'll say that. So is this Lewis, he sent me the link on, on uh, Craigslist. He's like, this is the boat you want. And so I, I went and bought it without even thinking about it. I just went down in Portland and got this thing. Right. That's that's what I'm looking for from you. I appreciate yeah. that. Let's and the guy was more. like, you know what you're doing? And I'm like, yeah. Because <laughs> you're careful. I'm like, I, I know, I know, I know. Because you're just I'm like, I know, I got it, I got it. Did you ever goes, see... I sent you an email with some links about safety. I'm like, okay, thank you. Got it. Who's the guy? Do you have a life jacket? <laughs> <laughs> Who's the right. guy who has his own brand of those? He was like a world champion. Greg um, Barton. Yeah. Yeah. Epic. Epic. Yeah. yeah. Did you ever see that video of that race that they put on where like they all come came out of this like little inlet or bay or whatever off of a river? And they like come out and hit the current and everybody gets swept under a barge and just they're just getting destroyed. Yeah. <laughs> just destroyed. Yeah. Oh God, I'm picturing you out there well in that camp. <laughs> Thank you. Wow! Tugboat. You know what it's like? It's very much like when I took you. We we attained the lower dock and wall of our boats. <laughs> yeah, that was right. Yeah. You didn't really enjoy it, did you, John Grace? I. I mean, I did in a way. I really right. did. I, I mean, mean, that's this is how I feel about this. I'm like, I'm not. Yeah, it's a. I wasn't doing it well, but I was like, ah. I'd have little glimmers just enough to like keep me interested. Exactly. Uh, classic type too fun. Um, all right. We got to get Matt Porter on here. While I am getting this done, can you guys keep our audience entertained? Man, I also uh, I feel like I would be remiss if I did not mention going out to Idaho with Team Maryland couple months like maybe a month ago now like all the boys from dc i grew up with we just had like like an all-time crew of like some of my oldest best friends on middle fork salmon it's awesome yeah, i would have gone by the way thank no, you you wouldn't have yeah i would have sure you would. know what happened i mean i'm, I'm i we would have loved to have had you is the problem yeah. is when you say no like like 99 times out of 100 i stop yeah. asking well that trip i would have done <laughs> well we missed you just you know you just you recalibrate What's that? So you would have been a great addition. Thank you. It's solidly lifestyle. It would have been too chill for you, though. You would have been like, uh, like all we're doing is soaking in hot springs and like, like drinking beer. Like I need to suffer. I could have toned it down a bit. <laughs> you would have split hey. a margarita with somebody with some almonds. Matt, Matt Porter, where are we, Matt Porter? Is that Matt? Huh? Matty there? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? All right. Welcome to the show. Product manager at Coquitat, Matt Porter. I got you. That was, see, that was pretty quick. I feel good about being host and producer here at the show sometimes. Technology Is that Coquitat behind you? 
this is this is part of it. Yes. Yeah. Really? Huh. Just hold still. Let me take a look around. <laughs> do you want to, we can do a tour over. This is this is the demo room slash my bike storage. Oh, it looks like your garage. I have to be honest. It's well, very casual. I mean, at least he's in a place of work. Well, you're like in your kitchen or something. What are you doing? Well, I have to come home because uh, if I do it at work, all my co-workers are looking at me, waiting for me to say something stupid. And I see like <laughs> waving their hands in the background. I'm like, what? Huh? It's just too distracting. <laughs> Oh, so Matt, how's it going? Like making, like, Pretty good. How are you guys doing? Oh, can't complain. Have you ever yeah. been surf skiing? Surf skiing? No. I, like those epic no. kayaks, you know? You've seen them. No. Oh, they like the sit-on-top touring boats, basically? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Surfing? No, I have not. <laughs> I've been surfing in a sea kayak, but not um, on top of it. Well, that's big up here in the gorge. Real quick, Matt, introduce yourself, kind of where you're from, your origins in the paddle sports world, and and kind of what you do there at Kokita. Sure. Um, Matt Porter. I'm the product manager for Kokita. I think I've been here since 2005. Yeah, 2005. Um yeah, I grew up in uh, Oregon and started paddling in college when I was at Humboldt State here in Arcata, California. And yeah, I think that's it. How long has Kokatat been around? Uh, since 1971 is when uh, the company was founded. And, and it was founded as a paddle sports specific brand. Is that right? No, it was, uh, it was actually founded as a combination of a outdoor store bike shop and a, a general outdoor gear manufacturer. So like their, our first product was a, uh, some down sleeping bags and bivy sacks. Mm-hmm. So. Was that Blue Puma or was it, what was the name yeah, of the company? Then? Yeah, that was Blue Puma. Yeah. And uh, Arcata Transit Authority was the bike shop arm of the, of the company at the same time and then blue puma was the manufacturing side of it and that's steve uh who was amaro was the guy who did all this right or how is it like was he he was right there at that time yeah steve amaro was the founder him and a um it was it was him and a few few of his friends that that started it but he's a boater um he he's an outdoor guy he's he does uh some sea kayaking stuff um he doesn't do he hasn't done whitewater boating in quite a while but yeah he's a he's a backpacker outdoor guy sea kayaker so how do you go from outdoor gear which kind of makes some sense to making kayak gear which makes slim to no sense um sure uh well in I think it was 1980 when they were uh, Rob Lesser and Don Banducci were looking at doing the ALSEC first ascent. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I think that was 1980. They came to to us to try to make some paddling jackets for the expedition, and that's where we started. We made um, a paddling jacket for that 
for those guys for that trip and then started selling the paddling jacket. And it was just like a splash jacket with like long neoprene cuffs mm-hmm. that you could zip up on mm-hmm. it. So, and that was, I had like one the, of those by the way. Did you? That's cool. Mm-hmm. I'm dating myself here. It was blue and the neoprene cuffs were red. Nice. <laughs> Classy. Yeah. Yeah. So that was our, our first, uh, pal sports, uh, uh, specific product. So interesting. And then we kind of just kept going from there. We, um, kept, uh, for a while we were making both items and we were making some stuff for the sailing industry. And then, um, we, we eventually decided that we need to focus on something and decided pal sports was the thing to focus on. Well, you guys, I mean, you guys just go back to the sewing for a minute. So, I mean, part of Coca has business is sewing, right? I mean, you guys are a sewing factory there. This has been what you, I mean, kind of what you've been doing all along, right? Yep. Um, yeah. So, and certainly in the seventies, I mean, that makes some, and even the eighties makes some degree of sense, right? Uh, because you know there was no contracting out to Asia at that time or anywhere. Um, but you guys have held tight with like how many people do you guys employ there sewing right now? Um. I, we're around 170 employees, Jesus. and probably 80% of that is uh, production staff. So, I mean, not all of them are on a sewing machine. Some of them are seam sealing, cutting, mm-hmm. you know, other uh, production jobs. But, yeah, it's like 80, 80% 85% is production employees. Right. And then, I mean, that's not all for Whitewater, though. You guys do stuff for the military also, right? that's correct yeah i mean all of those people work on whitewater and mm-hmm. sea kayaking kayak fishing stuff oh, right. um, Paddling, but we I mean. do, yeah we do have we have uh, some contracts with um the government and state and local and you know search and rescue products and then we also do some oem stuff for uh for sitka uh, a hunting company mm-hmm. hunting and we make some some hunting waders for them also right because with that many people sewing you don't you don't need that many people sewing making paddle sports gear i mean there has to be more to it than no, not 12 months out of the year yeah i mean yeah. any given like this week they're all working on paddle sports stuff but you know last week they were weren't you know right yeah i mean this is all northern california too um I mean, have you guys looked at moving or, I mean, I, I don't know that Steve would be interested in outsourcing. The limited conversations I have with him on the subject seems like he's pretty committed to that area. Yeah, we're, uh, to my knowledge, there's been no discussion of looking for other, looking for other areas. Um, right. The labor base there is good and everything's functioning or. Yeah. I mean, we've had uh, real success, um, you know, getting and keeping long-term employees in the area. We're one of the bigger non-government employers in Arcata, um, right. Humboldt County. It's, there's, you know, Arcata is one of the bigger towns at around 17,000 uh, population. And then Eureka is about double that size. It's just south of us on the other side of Humboldt Bay. Um but outside of that, it's pretty rural, and we're very isolated. Like, it, it takes basically three hours to get out of Humboldt to I-5 or 
takes like six hours to get south to San Francisco. So oh, when you're there, you're there. Yeah, you're there. I kind of throw this out to both both of you guys, and this is kind of like the history of the dry suit. So Coquitet makes a lot of great things, PFDs, etc. But I would say the hero product, at least in Whitewater, is the the Gore-Tex dry suit. So were were you guys one of the first people to really refine the dry suit? Like, what is the history of the dry suit? Um, because it really hardly existed even when I first started paddling, at least in whitewater. But mm-hmm. I, I mean, I would say we were the, I don't know if everyone would agree with me, but I would say we're, yeah, we kind of um, made it, made it a big thing in the pal sports industry and made it, you know, we're the first guys to really bring dry suits into the market. Um, our first suits, we started building in 1987 and that was like a coated urethane suit. Um, and then our force, first gore suit was, uh, in 1990 was the first gore suit that we started producing, which was like this, the front entry dry suit. Um, and then I think, yeah, 1992 was our, the first Meridian dry suit, which is kind of like our flagship suit still. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it's gone through many design revisions since then, but that's the, uh, the, you know, the classic whitewater suit with the tunnel cover, you know, the skirt tunnel cover. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, when we, when we were developing the suits with, we, we worked a lot with Gore and helped them kind of tune their seam sealing process. So it would work with, you know, with the dry suit, which is, you know, a totally different environment as John knows, then trying to make a raincoat out of something, mm-hmm. you know? So like, what is the difference in layman's terms? Is there a way you can explain that? Yeah. I mean, it, I mean, it's, it's a pressure difference. It's like a raincoat you're getting rained on uh, a dry suit. You're sitting, you're submerged in the water. So there's a lot bigger, there's a lot more uh, force put on that material. There's a lot, the, the water is, has a lot more pressure trying to get through the material because you're submerged in the water you know it's just a beefier scene and then just the construction i mean just the construction everything about it if you made a dry suit for paddle sports the way they even make a really expensive rain jacket they would it would be a disaster Uh, most rain jackets leak and people don't even know it you know or or it's yeah and it's the material i mean you look at even like a high-end mountaineering jacket that's made for supposedly like the gnar of you know, climbing, it's that, that fabric is a lot less beefy than like the entry level dry suit is. It just, it, you know, the wear and tear that happens on a dry suit is just a whole, it's just a different use than, than a raincoat, than raincoat or a ski jacket or something like that. So obviously you have to have like good material to make a dry suit that's really dry you know, but like what percentage of it is like actual fabrication, like the process of making it versus what you're making it with? Like, uh, I, I would think it's a, I mean, it's at least half of the process is cause I mean, you can get a suit, like basically the way technology is now, there's a lot of, a lot of fabric manufacturers that can make something that'll that can be waterproof and dry. 
you know, I mean, and you, you look at kind of everyone out there is we're, they're not, no one's sourcing a, a material, a fabric material that leaks, you know, when they get the roll of fabric, it's waterproof. It's, it breathes at this point, almost you know, no one has a non-breathable, um, waterproof fabric. And then it's dry, at least for, you know, off the shelf, it's dry. So it's really down to like the manufacturing process, like how you sew them, what this, how you seal them, how you test them to make sure they're the suits dry before it leaves your facility, how you, and with especially suits, um, what you do for the life of that suit. Cause it's not a disposable product. It, it, you know, it's something that has a lifespan that you're going to, assume it's going to come back for you know even if it's just a gasket or something someone rips a hole in a knee or their a butt or you know they get they walk through too many blackberry bushes um scouting or walking around stuff or just getting to the river and um you're going to need to patch it so it's that those are the the considerations and you know to, to build them you yeah said, i mean you could look at you could look at like sweet who, you know, they don't make dry suits anymore, so I don't feel bad saying this, but, I mean, they use similar materials to what Cocotest is using. But they were still learning how to make a dry suit, right? I mean, even when they exited the market, they still hadn't had to figure it out. I mean, we repaired we repaired lots of dry suits. I think they were stuck in the game for another, you know, five or six years. They probably would have figured it out, but they were still years away from dialing that process in, for sure. You know, and there's no guidebook on how to build a dry suit, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's a tough business. I mean, you really, when you buy a dry suit, you know, it's it, the ecosystem that the company that, that supplies that dry suit has to have a bunch of things working for you, you know, to be able to repair it in house, to, to have know what they're doing construction wise, have people answering the phones that understand, you know, what you're talking about. Cause these problems can be complex and a lot of gray area, stuff like that. These are all things that factor into a dry suit purchase for sure. And I, I think it's unique too. And well, you can, agree with me or not. I, I think it's unique that it's a product that a lot of the, it, there's a lot of post mm-hmm. post purchase considerations right. that you have to look at for, for a sure. suit for um, sure yeah. I mean, you in a relation with these customers because you're going to see this thing back I mean you buy a pair of, even buy a rain jacket you're Patagonia's never going to see that rain jacket again right but we will see that dry suit back sooner or later for something even if it's just a gasket replacement yeah right? I think it'd be similar as like if you know, if uh, not to pick on a specific company, but like if Piranha had a boat patching service for cracked boats, like where you could send them their suit, their boat after you crack the butt out of it and they would patch it for you. But it's, mm-hmm. but that's expected, you know, that's expected for, for, for a dry suit, that that's a, a service. You know, this brings up an interesting point and I'll throw this out to both of you guys. So you guys are talking about the manufacturers repairing these products. But like if I buy a bicycle, like a giant bicycle, giant doesn't fix my bike or work on it. Like the bike shop works on it. Like do you ever see paddle sports stores like working on the stuff? Like it where's that disconnect? Why is it all on the manufacturers? Is it just tooling of stuff? I mean I think it's the type of repair is part of it. You know, like we do, we have, um, like we have a repair facility over in the UK that does some higher level repairs where they'll, they'll water test and patch stuff. But most of like local shops, they're, 
their level of technical expertise kind of stops at a gasket repair. Like there might be some shots that can kind of die, diagnose warranty issues maybe, or leak issues, but they're not going to be able to repair it. Um, and I'm part of it on our end on the Gore side is the, you have to license the facility and the machinery. So like um, that just, that there's no way a, like a local shop could have a sealing machine or a patching machine. Gotcha. With, it's just they wouldn't they wouldn't get approved for it. It's and um, it would be very cost prohibitive. But I do I mean I do think I would like to see an ecosystem for paddle sports shops with more involved with repairs. I think it makes them more relevant to the community. I think it brings in income. It it creates customers for them, right? Um I mean, I think we're talking about if, if we're talking about retailers not being in the best, you know, as good a shape they were as in 20 years ago. I think having repairs on board would be a really great piece of that, you know. And certainly a lot of like if you're just talking about spray skirts or just water for breathable repairs in general. I mean, a lot of stuff they can fix themselves. I mean, it's not rocket science. Well, I mean, it comes down to like needing a seam sealing machine or sewing in a, a new zipper. I mean, that's that needs to go back to the factory. But you crack crack a bike frame, it's the same thing. Your bike shop can't do that, but they can be trained to tune a derailleur for sure. Yeah, but you know, like the, you know, if you crack a hole on your kayak, sure. they could they hole replacement or something like that. You know, there's nothing. I mean, I don't know if that's yeah. even offered. I mean, that's something I do. I, I mean, know. I think it'd be great if if like boat manufacturers were to offer online training for the retailers to fix these boats, right? Not only is it the right thing to do for the boat, but it's the right thing to do for the store too. You know, mm-hmm. um, I don't know. Interesting. Interesting. We'll so. Switching gears here a little bit. What are you just talking about basic trends? What are you seeing? What are you guys seeing trends in the sport, Matt? From everything to like sea kayak touring, whitewater. What are you What are you seeing out there? Um, it. I mean, this last year has been pretty hard to to see what's going on. We've. I mean, really, we've just been trying to to build what's on order for us. Um, so, I mean, over the last several years, we've seen kind of a de- decrease in in sea kayaking as a as a push. It's still there, but it's not doesn't have the growth that that we've seen historically. And um, kayak fishing is still growing pretty pretty steadily. I mean, do you think kayak fishermen are buying dry suits in general as a category, or? I mean. Uh, we've seen increases in like our our kayak fishing specific stuff, but I think it's definitely a niche. I, I would say most kayak fishermen are not buying dry suits, but there there seems that there's a growing amount that that are, and it seems like those are more like the offshore guys, um, mm-hmm. or really or really crappy weather <laughs> um, season fishing guys. So, but like. I mean, around here, most of the fishermen are out in the ocean or in the bay, so they're they're using it some kind of suit usually. Um, and then water—I don't know—I our whitewater stuff, specific stuff, seems steady. Um, I, I mean, again, this year is uh, for us at least is is a bad um, a bad indicator because we're we're just we've really been trying to play catch up. Uh, since the, the the pandemic shut down, and we were 
in March, we did have March, 2020, we had to shut down the, the factory for I think two months while we were, um, yeah, we had for, for Pal sports production, we kind of had a skeleton crew in where we were making masks and PPE garments and then, uh, trying to keep up on repairs and stuff, but we weren't, we had to re, re, um, we had to retrofit the production floor so that we could bring staff back safely. So we had to spread a lot of stuff out. We also, we uh, increased our footprint um, by about 15%. Um, we had like a neighbor move out. So we grabbed the rest of the building we're in, uh, but we had to knock out some walls and redesign. So, Did you have a chance to read that outside article I sent over? Yeah, about the shows. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I did. Are you guys going to be attending any trade shows, or what's kind of your your take there? Uh, yeah, as of today, we're not going to the big gear show, um, and we're outdoor retailer. We're tentatively going to. We we have a booth space. Um, it's a reduced booth space and reduced people going but that's all subject to change too it's we're gonna it'll depend on um how many uh buyers that we get committed to going or say they're going and um also kind of what the the pandemic situation is in august if we go or not how many buyers where are you at what's up where are you at on that weld um, I mean, I'd love to go back to outdoor retailer and here in Kokotek going is a good, I mean, for us, a good sign. Um, I think, I mean, I've made this clear on the show before. I think a centralized trade show is much, I know it sounds antiquated, but I don't think it's a terrible idea. Um, I mean, I don't know what the, I honestly, and I've said this before too, I don't know what they're getting at with a big gun show. I, don't, I just don't understand it. I mean, they have a couple bike brands, they have a couple outdoor, you know, kayaking brands, they have a couple outdoor brands. No retailer is going to be like, I'm just going to the big gear show. They're still going to have to go to Interbike or whatever. They're still going to have to go out to retailer. I mean, these two guys started the, the paddle sports show for a couple of years and sort of kicked it to the curb and left it high and dry. I mean, I wouldn't, I'd be wary about investing time and money into that show, personally speaking. But they didn't invite us, so we're not going. <laughs> if they invite only, <laughs> surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, yeah, I was reading that article I, and I was I, I, trying I just, to. Matt, do, you think, do you think I'm out of school on that? Or I mean, I don't. I don't want to get you in hot water here, but. Come um, on, get well, we, some hot water. We yeah. we were looking at going to the Big Gear show, but then with Orion kicked back to the week after the Big Gear show, we had to make good. To, we knew we weren't going to go to both um, mm-hmm. if they were that close together. So and we we chose uh, to go to the OR because we we think. We think we'll have better participation from from dealers at that show. I mean, do you year. think trade shows are dead? I mean, do you think this is an idea that's that's on its last gasp here, or do you miss trade shows? Here? I I do not miss a miss setting up booths and tearing down booths with with insane forklift drivers screaming <laughs> by me at six inches away. <laughs> but uh. uh I don't think that they're necessarily dead. I don't know if this is 
the year this I, I I think you gotta throw this year away totally just because of the pandemic on what right. what's going on with them. You know, right. it's I mean, really, OR is too late at this point for booking. I mean, our our preseason deadline is the fifteenth, which is the Sunday after OR gets over with. Mm-hmm. Like that's our deadline, and but I mean, there. OR has never really been a writing show for us anyway, where we're writing orders at that show. I mean, by then we've talked to our key guys already and hopefully gotten at least, um, you know, an idea of what they're, what they're interested in for next year, if not actual orders. Do you think, I mean, you're considering going to OR or right now you're planning on it. Well, do you have, some affinity towards OR, but if we have... can meet, if we can meet 70 stores there, it's worth every penny, right? It's worth every penny for us. It's way cheaper to see 70 stores in one place. And I don't care how much a headache the booth is than it is to drive around to 70 stores, right? It's environmentally better. It makes more sense. Um, for retailers, you know, the idea they can see 1200 different brands that, you know, they're not going to see any, you know, any place else. Maybe they don't sell hammocks, but all of a sudden they see a bunch of awesome hammocks like, Oh geez, I can actually make money here. I mean, that's, I mean, that's the value of a trade show, in my opinion. So, yeah, it gets critical mass again. Yeah, I'd go for sure. Um, I mean, do you, I mean, if you had to put on the table, bet yes, paddle sports is going to be back, or no, paddle sports is not going to be back. Do you think paddle sports will be back in the OR show at some point in the near future? Me? You're asking me or you, both of you guys? I mean, do you have a better perspective of it than I do? What I always do thought think? it was so weird that paddle sports just left, and then <laughs> that whole thing was just so weird to me. I just never could. That's out. a word for it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, um, I, I guess I, I don't know. It would depend. Again, it depends on the show date, which fluctuates so much. Um, what happens with the big gear show, if it gets traction or not. Um, and what, what, where the dealers go. I mean, I, I, I'm with John that I think it has the trade shows have, there's a place for them and it's good, especially for buyers to be able to see that many people, but it, it's the same thing for us. I mean, we're looking at how many, how many buyers are going to go to the show and does it, does it meet, uh, is it worth going to see enough people? Like if we're, if we're only busy for the first day right? and then we're, you know, sit around for the rest of the time, it, I don't know that it's really worth it. I don't think they're coming back. Well, not on this current track. I mean, we need to get we need to get rid of the regional trade shows for one thing. These rep shows, which just cannibalize this whole process. Obviously, the big gear show needs to not be there. <laughs> um, but I don't know. I my whole my whole theme is that I I I'm I'm pro retailer. You know, I mean, or at least. In, in so much that I, I think the very best customer service experience happens at the retailer level, right? And when the relationship is working with the retailer manufacturer, it's great. We're the writing pre-seasons and taking these pre-seasons. And, you know, at that point, we can have real discussions on pro daily pricing and, and you, you know, if we have a robust wholesaling, back to program, Matt, I'll definitely get your opinion on this in a second. But, um, and part of that is working in sync in terms of ordering, you know what I mean? Having a centralized, uh, meeting place, you know, and, and some way of setting the clock for our, our, our season. And that was outdoor retailer traditionally, you know, that was, 
Everyone had their shit ready by as a retailer. That's when it all happened, you know? And we'd be busy three and three quarters of, of four days there. I mean, slammed every single day, right? Um, I don't know. That's that's my two cents. But who knows? I, I don't know that. I don't know anyone's offering any kind of leadership in that regard or anyone cares even, you know? I think it's kind of every man for himself at this point. Interesting. Which is going to be, you know, manufacturers going more and more direct. Yeah. Uh, what do you think about dealing? I mean, is ProDealing a sales channel? I mean, what do you, what do you, what are your thoughts on that, Matt? I mean, is it getting Pro- out of control? Is it in control? Is it hurting the industry? Is it right sized? We're what? Uh, I I think it's it's. I think it's a good size for at least speaking on us personally, it's, I mean, it's a good size for us. Um, we, we offer it to, you know, employees of accounts and then uh, some industry, other industry employees or, but um, we try to keep it relatively tight. We don't look at it, at it as a revenue stream. Mm-hmm. Um, like we don't have, we don't have like a sales goal on, um, pro deal sales or anything like that. So we're trying to, I mean, we do it as a, um, you know, service to our accounts mostly. Right. Um, What's your criteria for that? Well, yeah, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, you know, we try to do it off for a pro deal. I mean, obviously store employees, I mean, the, the, to me, the, the basis of a, of a pro deal is store employees. That's first and foremost. Right. Um, you know, to help promote your brand within that store and get, you know, help the store employees who really help, you know, make the, make the transaction occur wearing your gear. Um, you know, you get, you do get a lot of pressure though from other manufacturers, you know, who I won't necessarily single out, but who do more of a carpet bombing pro deal, you know, uh, more of a carpet bombing pro deal approach. And you go to these towns where the entire town, you know, every raft guy in the town is getting a pro deal. Um, and you wonder how you're going to deal with that as a manufacturer, you know, like what's the, what's the strategy here for sure. So, but I, I'm not, I mean, my concern with pro deals isn't, is just in general, like, you know, like how important I know pro deal is to the, out, like most outdoor brands, you know, you hear about outdoor brands getting 30 or 40% of their online sales revenue coming from pro deals, Right. Um, I know that's be true for a lot of companies, especially in the apparel side of things. Um, and I'd, I'd see that as a, as a disintegration of the, of the retail infrastructure, you know, and, and they work, they work, they work together to help screw that up. Are you guys raising your prices? Either. Uh, yeah. For, for 22. Yeah, we we're we're having, slight increases definitely with uh yeah between fabric cost increases um freight increases and um wage increases we're we're having to go up a little bit what about you john yeah i mean i i don't i don't know exactly what's going to happen for 2022 yet. But yeah, I, yeah. The problem is I think we should be increasing prices anyway, but just not because of inflation. But I think this time around it's going to be inflation that's driving the price increase, which isn't really helping anybody. Um, 
So, yeah, I, I suspect. I mean, shoot, a two by four now is what nine dollars. Yeah, <laughs> I don't. I don't know how you cannot raise prices. I mean, transportation costs yeah. like a container from Asia right now is is a fortune, right? Yeah. So, um, Matt, Matt, do you guys like being based in Arcata? Do you feel like you have like infrastructure challenges at all like just with being based in such a small kind of remote community i like i ask you about this because i have a lot of conversations like around you know public lands advocacy issues and there's such a big focus on like rural economic development you know and as it relates to to conservation efforts and i feel like i've had some really interesting conversations lately about you know the challenges of rural economic development because of like a lack of infrastructure, you know, and I think of like where we live as being, you know, here in the gorge as being like a really small town, but at the same time, we're an hour from an international airport on I-84, um, you know, close to a big port. Like, do you, do you feel like that plays into your, your like affects your business much? Yeah. Yeah. I, I think there's effect on transit, you know, um, travel, I mean, that's a small part, but travel out of the area for staff is to for work is always a uh, a challenge. Like we have an airport with a direct flight down to San Francisco, but then I mean, that's you have to go to San Francisco pretty much um, or drive out. And uh and then all of our, most of our raw materials and outsourced stuff comes into the Oakland port and then getting it up to us, um, it's just an increased transportation cost for that. So, um, it, but other infrastructure stuff, I mean, besides like high speed, speed internet limitations that they're trying to get into the county, um, uh, we've got a... I mean, the, the local business community and uh, the town is very supportive of, you know, of, of us. And so we don't see any limitations there. I think it's mostly transportation in and out of Humboldt County, really, you know. Got it. Um, yeah, re- recruiting, we, 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 we can find good employees and retain employees in this area. So that's... I mean, that's the main, that's the main thing for a company, I think, is just getting employees. Yeah, I mean, I feel like that's a big part of the story we like to tell about, you know, conservation and outdoor recreation is like, you know, it, uh, you know, it makes people want to live in these communities, right? Like, it's like you live in a desirable location, and that's, it's important. What, um... What, what would what do you want to tell dry suit customers out there from a customer service standpoint? <laughs> yeah, how long is a Coca Cat dry suit dry? And what happens <laughs> if I call you and say my suit is soaking wet and you test it and it's not leaking anywhere? <laughs> well, how, what what can you tell me to make me not angry? Uh, to make you not angry, John? I don't know. Kayaker. <laughs> Ask how much you sweat in a day. Um, <laughs> um, I, yeah, I don't. It's very. I mean, each suit is a, a case by case, you know, basis. How much? It's 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 not. It's never a. 
a time frame of how long a suit's good for it's always a use and like and how how well or you know how it's been cared for you know if you're if you're paddling in the thing every day and you store it wet in the trunk of your car then it's going to have a let le- um a lot lower lifespan than if you use it you know once a week and you hang it up and rinse it off and dry it every time um, and also, you know, what you're doing in it while you're paddling is like a someone sea kayaking could, if they're not rinsing it and they're in salt water all the time and rolling around on the beach afterwards, you, like that could get a lot of <laughs> holes in it. Right? if you're, you know, you're being careful, you're not walking around the put in with without shoes on on the gravel. You know, you can. There's there's a lot you can do to keep your suit dry. Um, you know, by just kind of taking care of it a little bit. Um, but hold on a minute. How do so we I, make one we suit, don't have the to suit, do But this <laughs> suit is brand new. I mean, I just bought it from you guys. And I had a Bomber Gear suit that was dry for like 20 years, right? And now my arms are so right here, and I'm damp all in the chest. And I know this thing is it's coming right through the fabric. Right through. <laughs> What are you gonna do for me? We're we're gonna have we're gonna have to get it in and see, <laughs> test it, and then uh, if it's not to pay for this, if I can't figure you it send out, me a call I'll, I'll send it to IR. Can I get a new one? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's so funny. Well, I remember a long time ago somebody sent in a dry suit that was leaking, and you sent me images like microscopic images or something of thorns and stuff going through the suit or something do you remember that no how long ago was it i we, can't remember i'll be perfectly honest if you go back like 15 years we sucked at making dry suits <laughs> right uh, so it could have been any number of things i mean we, we're doing a lot better nowadays but um do you have any of like the original blue puma gear around do you have any like relics around matt uh yeah we've We've got kind of like the uh, the vault of old stuff. Um, we've got this. We used to have. I'm spacing the name, but our insulation stuff and it, it used the fabric we used was like carpet padding, or <laughs> like industrial carpeting. Um, but it was like a polyester, you know, fabric, and that's what we used for our, you know, like our our bunny suit stuff. And we've got one a top from that. We've got some really short uh, board shorts that have like a quarter inch oh, that on them. <laughs> well, let me let me uh, tell you, you should set up an NFT for these original products. <laughs> sell them through a non fungible token. That's the way it works. What was the worst product Coca Tat ever made? Oh, and if you're completely honest, I can I can probably think about the worst product we ever made. He's like, I'm gonna hurt some feelings right here. I have some feelings. <laughs> Don't say it, Matt. The worst well, product get I you worked in on, or the worst product that actually got. <laughs> Come on, throw somebody under the bus right now. You put this thing out to the stores, and it was junk. Because listen, everybody makes mistakes. Apple computer, right. Tat, even IR. I know it's hard to imagine, but dude, I remember the first dry suit that you ever sent us. Well, a long time ago. 
we like wore this thing on the stickine, and we got to Site Z camp, and literally he took his dry suit off and poured out buckets of water from each foot. It was was amazing. I know it breaks my heart to think about that. (laughs) Amazing. Um, I think our we uh, probably our intro our we dipped our foot into skirts for a few years, and that was a. A disaster. <laughs> what was the yeah. name of that skirt? <laughs> I, I, I can see that because <laughs> it's you guys, but just in general. <laughs> uh, yeah. what's, up with, what's up with Rich? What happened with Rich at Snapdragon? Speaking of skirts, you guys are know him better than, than we do. Uh, I, I'm not sure. I haven't talked to him since since they closed down. Dave, I wrote him an email just making sure it was true and saying, if it's anything, you know, I, there's not, obviously nothing I can do to help, but expressing my sadness. And that's really the case, you know, but hmm. uh, the worst product we ever made was our, I think the full conditions dry top with Johnny Kern. I had one of those. It was, it was awesome. the first one we made. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. We did not know what the hell we were doing. They were awful. We replaced them all too. Just to pull out, we didn't we didn't make anyone sit in those things. We knew they were bad. I mean, two weeks after we made them, we knew they were bad. I remember coming into the shop in Confluence and meeting. That was when I first met Johnny, and yeah. he was like designing that thing. I thought it looked really cool, and I was oh, at the same neat. time. Yeah, that's what I we used to out. think you could make, like do all these crazy patterns and curves and patches and all this crap, and yeah, it, would be it awesome. looked really cool. <laughs> And I like, I remember cutting out, I cut out a couple of dry tops at the time, like to make skirts or to make a, like dry decks for slalom with yeah. Snapdragon skirts on them. Yeah. And it was like that very first fabric that you were using for the semi dry tops. Yeah. And I wore those things for years, man, but they leak like tell, but I wore yeah, them for years. Yeah, you know, a much different threshold. <laughs> Matt, do you remember, see if I can have the story right. Do you remember, I think you and I had both tested that Polar Tech waterproof breathable fabric. It was like Neo Shell or something. Neo Shell, yeah. And it was yeah. awful. I mean, we tested it. I mean, we, we would write on a pen, you know, what samples it was, what, what, how we were washing and stuff like that. And it would leak right through the pen marks. It was so bad. I mean, this is as bad as bad gets. And we immediately, like after an hour, realized this stuff was a non-starter and then we kind of wrote it off and then i think you guys probably did the same thing and then when bomber gear had a new designer uh you know after rick franken really i mean tragically passed away the original owner of it um they had a new sort of headhunted this new owner and they came out to retailer with a complete line of neo shell dry wear dry tops dry suits paddling pants paddling jackets women's dry suits and I remember Matt coming, running over to our booth, being like, did you see what Polar or what, <laughs> what, what Robert here is doing? I'm like, I saw. And you, you see this moment where, like, these people are buying this stuff, and it's all going to fall apart. And this is going to be the end of this brand. This is going to be literally the end of the brand. And it's kind of like, what do we do? Do we say something? Do we not say something? I mean, trash talking another brand like that's kind of catty and sounds comes off really bad. <laughs> But I mean, is that, I mean, do you remember that? I do remember that. I remember, and I, yeah, four guys. Yeah. Yeah. I, all I can think is their fabric rep, like, must have been the best salesman ever. Um, well, if you came from, like, if you came from, like, Under Armour, wherever the guy came from, and someone came to you and, like, did, like, a bunch of pump cup tests, and, like, they're like, look how breathable it is. You'd be like, oh, sold. That's what we want. <laughs> Right. right. Do you want do you want the undercoating with that? 
extended warranty. Uh, maybe uh, hopefully they got the extended warranty. Yeah. <laughs> well, Matt. Yeah, I do. Yeah, I do remember that. <laughs> I hate but, to I hate to cut this interview off, guys, but we are way over time. Oh, so, sorry. We're just gonna start getting into some industry gossip. <laughs> I know, I know. I can see where this is going, and somebody's gonna get somebody in trouble. I'm just telling you. <laughs> Uh, well, Matt, thank you so much for coming on, man. Yeah, right. thanks, Matt. Hey, my yeah, pleasure. Thank you. It's yeah. good talking to you guys. Yeah, I, yeah. I look forward to seeing that NFT <laughs> sooner than later. Um, all right, my man. We got to run. Sorry, all guys. Right. See you guys. Bye, Matt. Thanks. All right. Guys, sorry. Sage is like getting ready to run. We're almost a half hour late. I don't even know how this happens. We're always late. We're always so late. And you guys are always early on the call. It's always like, all right, we're jumping on at 11. You guys are like 1045 without fail. You're like, we're on. Oh, it was such a junk show getting Sage. You know, like typical Hammer Factor. I'm like lining everything up last minute. It's like I'm putting my kids to bed last night. I'm trying to line up the time with Sage. And like I'm like messing up East Coast time with Pacific Coast time. And she's like, are you sure you're telling me the right thing? And I'm like, what on earth? No, anyway. he's not. <laughs> Hi, guys. How's it going? Hey, Sage. Good. Welcome to the Hammer Factor. Thanks. Nice, yeah, nice sponsorship uh, tag there. <laughs> well, I'm in the middle of training laps. I keep messing up this one gate. So I figured I'd hop right back on after this. <laughs> right. We just got off the phone with Matt Porter, Cocotat. Do you know Matt? Yeah, I know Matt. Yeah, he's just on. He's he awesome. Oh, awesome. Him yeah, and, he's super awesome. Him and Weld, it was like glory days. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like, you know, high school reunion or something. I, I couldn't even <laughs> tell what was going on there for a while. Uh, that's awesome. <laughs> Matt and I, yeah, we, we have confabs at these trade shows. That's one of the reasons we need to have trade shows is so Matt and I can get back together for our <laughs> sessions. <laughs> a lot of important decisions being made. Oh, God. Well, Sage Donnelly. <laughs> Um, under 21 female paddler of the year, dagger athlete, I believe U.S. slalom team, U.S. team member at one time or currently maybe? Um, not currently. I actually didn't go to team trials this year. So this is the first year and I think five or six years that I'm not on the U.S. slalom team or U.S. freestyle team. (laughs) Okay. So what's going to happen with slalom in the U.S.? (laughs) I just ran into Ryan. I just ran into Sarah Bond who, I don't know if you guys know her, but. I know Geltman does, and she's looking at going back to work for the ACA or something, basically refuting everything that Hipgrave was saying about slalom in the U.S. and saying it still has a chance, and Hipgrave has it all wrong. Um, I would say U.S. slalom definitely does still have a chance. Um, we are we have been seeing, like, at team trials, there's definitely been a few new faces every year, and it's it's been increasing um, from last time I went. Um, like I said, this is the first year that I'm missing it, so I didn't actually really pay attention to the numbers. Um at this team trials, but I think there's still a lot of development in it. Um, it definitely could be much better. Um, and it definitely could be at a risk, um, of kind of dying out a little bit, but I still think we still, we still have a chance to have like a strong slalom base in the U S and, um, yeah, we still, there's still, you see kids entering and starting just in slalom, especially out East. Um, there's definitely not much out West. Um, but still like there's, um, my local course on, the South Fork of the American River, there's still some kids who have been getting into it. And we actually, our, our slalom population down there has been growing. But unfortunately, none of them are really racing because we just, we don't have coaches or anything or race a race series out in the West. But I definitely don't think it's dead. 
so at the top of the game whitewater wise how much does slalom play into that i mean i mean right i mean how much better of a whitewater paddler can you be if you're training slalom um i think slalom has helped me uh worlds uh when it comes to whitewater kayaking um i started in freestyle in creek boating um, when i was pretty young and as soon as I started doing slalom, I started doing it when I was eight, but I didn't start seriously training and competing until I was 14. And as soon as I did, I, you can see a huge difference in my paddling. It helps you on with your technical skills. It helps you with your strengths. Um, and yeah, I think if anyone is wanting to improve their kayaking, it's, it's definitely a really great way um, to quickly improve. And then once you get back into your plastic boat, you'll notice a huge difference just with like, stroke placement and how you're edging and feeling and using the water. I think it's a super good, uh, developmental thing to do. How old are you now, Sage? I'm 20 years old. 20 years old. When do you turn 21? Uh, July 22nd this year. So it's soon. <laughs> okay. Cool. So 14 and now, well, let's just get right into your untouchable line and everything that happened there because we were just talking to Lewis. He keeps walking it. I've walked it like a dozen <laughs> times. Did you put on – okay, first let me start from the top. If you don't know what this rapid is, Lewis, can you describe the rapid? Because you didn't really describe it because a lot of us know what it is, but I think we're taking for granted. Like how much does it drop? What's the place like? Is it committing? It's like – it's like a – I don't know, like a 40 foot cascading gnarly drop that looks like the left wall is going to take your head off with like a huge curler right on the lip and then a brief moment to get your act together and then a hole and a really hard left to right move in front of like about a 15 footer that's dropping into a powerful hole with this horrible looking pocket on the left wall. Does that do it some justice? yeah i don't know it's just like one of those rapids chaos when you're like you're like people run this like that's nuts (laughs) (laughs) so did you put on that day with the intent i mean of running that rapid what who were you with how did it all happen because i'm intrigued so i'll start from the beginning um last year i was able to do my first fantasy falls trip and i actually unfortunately watched someone have a pretty gnarly line on it um and it actually completely turned me off from the rapid and I had absolutely no intention of running it probably ever it wasn't really a thought in my head for a while um and then I convinced Ben Stukesbury to come down and paddle in California with me this year and we ended up hiking into a bunch of stuff and including we were the first fantasy trip so we did two trips where we hiked in um And just, it was super fun. It was great to be back on the river. And it really gave me like a whole new, um, like look on fantasy itself. Cause it had kind of, it had been an interesting trip my first time. Um, and it definitely left me with some negatives, um, for that run in general. Um, so it was really cool to get back in there with Ben and just, it literally gave me a whole new outlook on it. Um, and it's actually one of my favorite rivers now. I love it. Um, but so we did two trips and then I went in. Ben took some days off. I went in and I ran Royal Gorge with some people and I got off Royal Gorge and I'm not entirely sure what made me think of untouchables, but I was just driving home and I kind of thought about it and I was like, I need to go into fantasy and I need to run untouchables. (laughs) Um, So I got back. I was like, Ben, we should go do fantasy. We got this awesome crew. I was able to lead down. Um, 
my really good friend, Melissa DeMarie, she um, is the owner of Cali Collective. Um, and then so we had Jason Hale, her, Rusty Sage, and Ben Stukesbury. So it's pretty much the dream crew. Um, and we went in there and the first, we did a super mellow trip. The first two days felt amazing. We paddled down to um, the Log 20 Rapid, I believe it's called. It's like that 15-footer you see with the log in it. Um, we paddled down there and we camped and I went to bed and I just, I felt so good. And in my head, I knew, I was like, I'm going to run Untouchables tomorrow. So the next morning we woke up, I still felt good. We had a, like a, a pretty short paddle down, maybe less than a half mile, probably a quarter mile down. And we got there and I was looking at it. And my first impression was like, oh my God, I don't want to run this. It's scary. And then I just, I kept looking at it. And one of my favorite things to do is, you know, really just sit next to a rapid and look at the crux moves and look at the consequences and look at how the water pulses and just really get an understanding for it. And I was looking at it, I was like, I'm going to do it. So I walked back up to the top and Ben had kind of been hemming and hawing about doing it as well. And we each actually walked up at the same time. He's like, are you going to do it right now? I was like, yeah. And he's like, perfect. I'll, I'll have every, I'll let everyone know. And so we had everyone set, set up down at the bottom for safety. And I got in the eddy and I was actually kind of, my blood sugar was kind of low. So I don't, not many people know this, um, but I'm a type one diabetic. Um, so I was actually getting in my boat and I got like a, an insulin pump and it checks my blood sugar for me. And I got a little notification. It was like, your blood sugar is getting low. And I was like, Ooh, that's not good. So luckily I like sat in Eddie, waited forever, like ate some goo and got it back up. And I was like, okay, I, I still feel good. Like I'm going to run it. So I, you know, did the little, I'm going Ben and Ben let everyone else know and then feel that from the Eddie and then it was time. <laughs> You talk about that first trip down there when somebody had a sketchy line and whatever. What were the dynamics? And then you talked about the dream team and there was just such a positive vibe. What was the difference in those? Was was it just the crews or was it, you know, how? what what do you think caused that difference in dynamics? Um, the crew definitely helped. Um, but also I think I've grown a lot as a paddler um, in the last year for sure. Um I kind of came back. I hadn't, I've always creek boated, but you know, I've never really tested or, or pushed my limits very much in creek boating. Um, so I came back last year from COVID and, you know, kind of started getting back into creek boating and, you know, I was really having fun. And last year, my year really started um, after I ran Selway Falls. Um, and that was like one of the highest, I think, female descents of the rapid ever done. So that really made me feel like super good and confident about myself. And then later, later that year, I ran um, big falls on the South Fork of the Payette at high water as well. And so just kind of building that confidence up and knowing like, wow, okay, I can make these must make moves. Like I knew I had the skill to, but I can do it like under the pressure and have that confidence in myself to know that, you know, I can go into these really hard rapids and these really technical moves and actually be able to, you know, put down the line. I think that really boosted my confidence. And then just, I don't know, I look, I can look at a rapid most of the time and like, I can just, if I see the line, it's like this very strange feeling. A lot of times I can see the line, but it's like, eh, but what if? But sometimes I just go into a river and I look at the, a rapid. I'm like, yeah, I, I see the line. There's no what if. I know exactly where I'm going to go. I'm going to go right there. I'm going to take this stroke. And then and then I can go for it. And so far, knock on wood, um, I've been able to, to do the line that I see every time. You certainly did at that time at Untouchables. That was, Thank you. I mean, I'm just going to say that's the cleanest line I've ever seen through that rapid. Thank you so much. Video <laughs> so big props on that. 
So type one diabetes, like when did you find out you had this? Um, so I was actually diagnosed with type one diabetes when I was three years old. Um, so I've pretty much lived my whole life not really knowing any difference. Um, and then when I was eight, I was actually diagnosed with celiac disease, uh, which means my body can't process wheat, rye, barley, or oats. And then when I turned 11, I was then diagnosed with hypothyroid, which means my thyroid doesn't produce any hormones. Um, so yes, I've been <laughs> dealing with internal body issues my entire life, pretty much. Oh man. So, I mean, are you constantly like managing that? Like, how do you like, how does that work? Are you like minute by minute having to do it? I don't know anything about it. So I'm just, I just know you have that meter that's on your yeah. hip. I mean, I just, forgive me for being ignorant. Yeah, so, oh, no worries. Um, so I actually, it's been really nice this year. I um, have gotten on what's called a continuous glucose monitor. Um, so that is another needle in, uh, that's attached to me. And that actually sends blood sugar readings to my pump. And the pump I have now, it actually will, it's called a closed loop system. So it'll do a lot of the work for me. So when it sees that my blood sugar is starting to trend up and go high, it'll give me some insulin. It's really nice. It has this activity mode that shoots to, you know, estimate to keep my blood sugar higher. But especially on these multi-day river trips, it's really hard just because, you know, you're moving so much and you're using so much energy that I pretty much have to continuously eat all day or I just won't be able to keep enough food in my system to keep my blood sugars up. Um, so I'm pretty much, I keep Gatorade in my boat at all times um, and just will chug that pretty much at every flat spot or every unit. Um, and then, yeah, as much food as I can eat at breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And yeah, it is a lot of managing. I do bonk a lot. It is, it's definitely harder on these multi-day river trips because it's just day after day after day trying to just keep food in your system as much as you can. Um, but I've been lucky, like boating with Ben has been really great because he, um, he helps me a lot. Like he, he's really started to understand, um, you know, what my body does and how much recovery time I need. And he's really mellow with all of that, which has been really nice. Um, so just, you know, having a good crew helps a lot. Um, but yeah, it's definitely, it's definitely hard and it adds a whole other side to every trip I do because it's a lot of preparation and I pretty much am constantly thinking about it when I'm on the water. Hmm. Hmm. And so do you have to like, do you feel your crew in when you're out there? You know, is this like you have like a group talk beforehand and so everybody is on the same page kind of thing? Um, I try to, it's definitely a little harder, uh, especially if I get on just a random kind of crew that I'm not super familiar with. Um, even explaining it, it's like, okay, I'm get, my blood sugar is going to get low sometimes and I'm going to have to stop and I'm going to have to wait about 15 minutes. And they understand, but it is definitely harder until they like actually see it happening for, for them to kind of grasp and understand what's going on. Because especially um, a lot of times, like if, if we're doing like a super long day and my blood sugar gets low, it's like a full on like, like crash. Like even if, you know, I eat some food and it comes back up, um, it's normally such a like steep and sudden thing. Cause it's like good, good, good. And then it just drops, um, that I'll be like pretty pooped for a while and it'll take me a while to recover. And I think that's kind of, kind of hard for some people to understand. So it's definitely just kind of like talking a lot and I try to communicate a lot about it. Um, and I definitely, there's, a little safety talk before of like, Hey, 
you know, if for some reason I pass out or, you know, in the rare case, you know, um, or I'm just completely not making sense and not, you know, with it, um, I can carry this thing called glucagon in my dry bag and, you know, I tell them how to administer it if something does happen. Um, but the good news is it, it's pretty hard for me to get there just because, you know, I'm thinking about it so much and I'm doing so much prep work for it. Um, but yes, there's a lot of talk about it beforehand. I have a similar conversation before I get on the river with people too, but it's not <laughs> diabetes related. I just let people know that things go horribly wrong. I may not be coherent. I may not be making sense. If I flip over and don't come back up, please save me. <laughs> what, uh, so what's the plans for paddling? I mean, how much are you going to be, I mean, is the goal here to be a full-time paddler or are we going to school or what's, how are we going to, is there a balance or are we just going full on kayaking? Um, so I'm kind of trying to figure all that out right now. Um, with slalom, my goal had been to go to the Olympics, but basically I came back home. I was living in the UK training and I came back home because of COVID last year and got back in my Creek boat and realized that that's what I love. And what I want to do is, you know, kind of more expedition, you know, big white water stuff. Um, so right now I am going to work part-time this summer as a raft guide in Idaho um, so I can start getting ready for the North Fork Championships. Um, but beyond that, I haven't really planned too much. I'm graduating uh, from Western Nevada College uh, this semester, so I should be getting my diploma like any day now, <laughs> which will be really nice. Um, and then I think after that, I want to hopefully start a photography business. Um, so I'm going to be taking some business classes for that as well. Um, so yeah, kind of just taking slow steps but as as of right now i am mainly just a kayaker so who's your who are your main sponsors right now obviously coca tat yeah coca tat <laughs> yeah. um i'm just switched to team dagger last year so it's been amazing um i'm on the warner team um honey stinger um the list the list got shorter <laughs> um and i'm also I think, I think that's about it. <laughs> Sorry. It's been a while since I've had to list my sponsors out. <laughs> and that, that means you're kayaking and not worrying about it. That's perfect. Right. Right. <laughs> what are you training so for right now, Sage? Yeah. Um, I am currently in Montana. Um, the Big Fork race starts tonight at 4.30. There's a boater cross. And then tomorrow there's uh, slalom through this. It's an awesome river. It's super big whitewater. They're going to have a slalom race through it um, and then a giant slalom as well. And I think the the combination of your results um, are all put together for an overall like result, which will be really cool. And then after that, I'm going to go down to Idaho and start training for the North Fork Championships. Cool. That sounds like a cool format. It's really cool. Yeah, it's awesome. It's been so long. I've just been California creaking. It's amazing to be on a river and not hit rocks. <laughs> so what's the vibe like? Is it feel back to normal up there? Is good attendance? What's? Oh, yeah. Super good attendance. There's a lot of paddlers here. It's going to be really fun. Awesome. Hmm. So what's going on with Red Bull? Are we signing with Red Bull soon? Have you looked at that? <laughs> I'm not sure yet. I haven't really yeah. looked at it. Um, it's definitely kind of been something I've been thinking about this year, but I think I'm going to wait till after NFC, see if I can get some good results um, behind me, and then maybe reach out, <laughs> right. see if they'll have me. Are you yeah, going to beat mean, Adrian in the green race? Good question. You know, Adrian is amazing, and hopefully someday I can put a run together that might be faster than hers, but any day I get to go head-to-head -head with her is awesome. That's a yes. I heard yes. 
You're going to have to work hard. She's fast. Sick. Well, I'll see you out at North Fork. We're going to do live coverage of that event this year. Awesome. Oh, that's going to be great. I'm not sure you should tell anybody that. So just, I'm not sure it's public yet, but anyway. (laughs) So what, what, what creep are you paddling right now? Um, currently for this race, I'm going to be using the dagger phantom. Um, for NFC, I might be using the code. I'm not too sure yet, but I'm basically between the dagger rewind, the phantom and the new code. Yeah. I mean, from just from a manufacturing standpoint, we've seen, I don't use the word explosive because I feel it's a cliche, but we've seen just a lot of growth in, in women in kayaking. Um, yes, it's amazing. There's actually so many women at this race. It's been a lot. I mean, it's it's been a long time since I've been to a creek race, and normally it'd be like, you know, maybe me and one other girl. Um, but it's amazing. It's it's been there's been a huge increase. It seems like. Yeah, and and not just participation, but in terms of 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 what they're doing. I mean, obviously, you're running Untouchables is a great example of that. It's no longer like a divide between what women and guys are doing in on the river, it's quickly becoming basically exactly the same thing. Um, but what we need is we need boats that are right sized. You know what I mean? For someone who's 125, 130 pounds, you know what I mean? Yes. <laughs> Would you agree? Yes, I completely agree. So that's actually why, um, I'm with dagger now is because they just released the small code and it's mm-hmm. actually, I, so my experience in the past with Creek boats is they either make, one size and it's too big for women or they'll make a small size in a boat but it won't be a good creek boat it'll be more kind of like a beginner boat um so when dagger said that they were making a creek boat that was going to come in a small and it was actually like a good creek boat i was able to try the prototype um it made me super super excited to be with a company like that um and yeah i was able to give back some some feedback on the small code and that's kind of been my little love child for the winter and um, yeah, I just got the first production small and it's amazing. It has great volume in the front, super like hard edges. So it's really nimble and easy to paddle. Um, but, and then you paddle in and it doesn't feel massive on you and it doesn't take a lot of effort to paddle. So it's really cool. Are you nervous about committing to a boat brand? I mean, obviously if you're going to commit to a boat brand, you could do a lot worse than Dagger. I mean, they obviously <laughs> have a huge roster of talent there, but I mean, I know a lot of paddlers are nervous about that because maybe boat company X is going to have a much better boat for them and they want to compete in that boat or they want to run the untouchables in that exact boat. You know what I mean? Do you think there's a liability there or do you think that's something you can negotiate without too much problem? You know, honestly, for me, I put a lot of thought into the brands that I want to be associated with. Um, Mm. So I don't just, you know, jump into it and be like, this is it, you know, and just kind of go for it. Um, You know, I, I talk to them and I see like what their future goals are and everything like that. And, you know, Dagger is definitely an all-inclusive company where they want, you know, every single person to be out on the water, happy with the boat that they're in. Um, so that made me really want to be um, a part of their company. And, and yeah, they're super into, you know, all feedback from everyone and actually taking that into consideration. So, yeah, I mean, I, I definitely wasn't nervous about committing to them if to answer your question. <laughs> What's your paddle offset, your blade offset? <clears throat> My paddle offset, so right now... I creak um, with a 30 degree, but I race with a 60 degree. <laughs> what kind of length are you rocking? Uh, I use a 195. 195 for both. So I right. really like the Odachi. That's what I've been paddling like pretty much nonstop. Hmm. Well, you made the cut. This this interview will remain. Yeah.
us. <laughs> you didn't know it. <laughs> well, I'm glad I passed. <laughs> well, I went out and bought a Phantom after we uh, after I saw that Untouchables line, so I got one of those. Awesome! <laughs> it's a great boat. I love it. <laughs> no, about the same size one. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I just got the same color and everything, and then printed a poster. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, if you just want to come, you know, take my Phantom. I'm sure she knows how to run Untouchables now. If you want to take her down for a lap. She's good. Uh, God. <laughs> I'm not doing it. I'd like to see I'm, not, I'm not doing it. I'm not doing it. You wouldn't need a spray skirt. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> Come on, surf ski boy. What are you talking about? Right. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I don't know, Sage. I mean, thanks so much for coming on the show. I know you're in your gear and getting ready to get out on the water right now. Um, hey, I'm super happy to be on here. And yeah, thank you so much for you know, tolerating me showing up in my gear. Sorry about that. No, I love it. It's true hammer factor. (laughs) Um, Hi, boys. You got anything else before we let Sage get back on the water? No, I have a whole bunch of stuff we could get into, but (laughs) every other time. We'll have you come back. I want to know all about like social media. Like how does social media fit into the the modern paddler? Like what are we doing? How does it, how does your personal life and social media intersect with your professional life and social media? But that's a big question. We should we should set that aside. Let's have a really quick answer. I, I, I can have a decently fast answer if you'd like. All right. Yeah, let's hear it. Um, so, yeah, I've actually – I'm not a huge fan of social media. I, I think it's a lot of effort and a lot of it's pretty fake. So my goal – and not necessarily kayaking. I just think a lot of stuff on social media is kind of fake in general. Um, but so my but, whole but goal – But sponsors demand it, though. I mean, this is something you have to yeah. do as an athlete. You have no exactly. choice. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. Yeah, so my whole my whole goal with my social media um, is to be just really real about it and, you know, show what I'm doing. And, you know, I've tried to get a lot better. I've been horrible about getting photos and film of myself, so I've been working on that a lot. Um, and, yeah, so just I don't really pay attention to, you know, what time I post and all of that stuff. Like, I know I think a lot of the influencers do. I'm pretty sure that's a thing. Um, but yeah, I just, I like to show, you know, what I'm doing and, and you know what I also, I definitely want to be like a platform to try to inspire like other diabetics and other women to show them, you know, what they can be doing and, and hopefully, you know, get them out there. Um, so yeah, I just, I like to, to show off, you know, what I'm doing and just be real and honest. And, you know, I, I think it's been really cool. Ben did some awesome videos of me. Um, like running my kayak in and, you know, testing my blood sugar and eating food. And I think like all of that's super cool and just, you know, sharing my life and, and just being like real about it. God, well, there we go. Real indeed, man. <laughs> I'll tell you what, when we get you back, you know, I'd love to get into where your drive comes from and like what gets you up early in the morning and just all kinds of things. But that's a whole different conversation. <laughs> We're going to have to have a whole I panel I will come back that. anytime. <laughs> All right, Sage. We'll get back to it. Thank you so much. And uh, thank you guys. Yeah, sure. we'll, we'll catch you in a few weeks in Idaho. Sounds great. See you then. All right. Bye-bye. Thanks, Bye, Sage. Bye. Awesome. I mean, come on, that's pretty inspiring. Look at the roadblocks in front of her, and she's like, "What? It's not stopping me." Yeah, I, I just like to see. I, I, I just like to see that market opening up in the way that it is. And I mean that in a sincere way. You know what I mean? I do. Lewis, you had to it's, laugh. It's good for everybody, so right? Well. Yeah. 
It's. Uh, I mean, having women paddling at that level is good for everybody. I mean, did uh, did Alec Voorhees win the Whitewater Awards Line of the Year for Untouchables? Just like, like he's the current winner, I believe. Like that was the Line of the Year, and like Sage's line on that same rapid was like every bit as good as like what was the you know best men's Line of the Year voted by you know allegedly the best kayakers in the world. Like, and you and you talk about her training slalom in Europe. In England, if that didn't have something to do with that, I would. I would. Oh, I guarantee it did, dude. Hard work, incremental improvements. I mean, come on, dude. That's a shining example right there. We just had on the show. I don't know. I'm inspired. Let's do viewer mail because I we have uh we have to make a phone call here. All right. Did I get logged into Trello? All right. This comes at us. Let's do the email about the guy with the boat molds first. Okay. We can. I thought that was a great email looking for. <laughs> okay. To answer this question, we're going to bring in Shane Benedict, who I'm sure has a pile of old molds somewhere who can answer this. I'm imagining they're in his living room. <laughs> <laughs> I may lose, I may lose you guys here, but if I, I don't know what I, this is complicated making a call from Skype. So we'll see. This is Shane Benedict of liquid logic. And I would say contributor to the hammer factor. Oh, wait a mm-hmm. second. Wait a oh, second. There he is. Wait a second. You got him. Wait a second. Oh, look at that. Look at this hippie. <laughs> so before we get too far, I'm going to add another playboat into this. We should pull We should pull out of the graveyard. We're picturing, we're picturing Shane, we're oh. picturing all these boat molds, by the way, in your living room, in your house. But I'm saying the session plus. I know where you're going because I saw it at IR just the other day, and I was like, ooh. My kid took that session plus to the last semester of world class. Big hit. <laughs> big hit so retro <laughs> people were into the cartwheeling for sure so shane do you have any idea what we're talking about welcome to the show shane benedict designer at liquid logic kayaks um long time hammer factor contributor so we had a question about old molds basically what happens to them why can't we just throw out some old molds and make it happen uh for starters there are they are uh put out to pasture basically like where's the mr clean mold right now do you reckon <laughs> <laughs> if, I, if i wanted to do a production run of mr cleans where would i get a hold of that mold my uh, my feet hope that that mold is gone <laughs> they, my feet still ache in that <laughs> i'm sure it's in a landfill somewhere or it okay. got uh, recycled but I mean, I've been to the factory. There are a bunch of old molds on racks all over the place. Like, yep. can we just pull one of those off the shelf and pop it out? <laughs> I, I wish that it were that easy. Uh, there's a just getting a mold to start running correctly after sitting around for a really long time can be a real challenge. Um, you can we can certainly do it, and we have done it in the past. And there's, you know, there's always been some craze. Oh, we got to bring back this boat and we got to bring that boat. And, and then, you know, we'll, we did it with the Hepes actually. And, um, and there was huge fanfare about a run of Hepes. And I think we might've sold 10. Right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think people get these boats and they forget how much they sucked. Not Hefe specifically, but some of these old boats were pretty terrible. You know? I have that spirit. I mean, man, I like loved the wave sport Frankenstein. Like just like, I loved that boat and I like yeah. got back in it 
I don't know, it was probably 10 years ago. And I like I paddled it on the upper yacht and I got down to Bastard and I was so uncomfortable. I had to trade boats with somebody else. I was like, I can't do this. Anymore. Like, I don't know how this was like my, I don't know which. Yeah, it's just not what you remember. <laughs> I had, I mean, I had the same thing. I was thinking about uh, the Super Sport is the, my example. I loved the Super Sport when it first came out and I was, I just absolutely loved it. And I got down to the Food Foo and we, I was down there for a long time and I was, kind of got bored and I was like, hey, I want to try some, they've got a super sport over there. This is going to be wicked. I almost died on the river. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, half of these old boats, my skirt won't even fit them. Like it just hangs over the edge of it. It's like putting like a blanket right. over the boat. So, I mean, is there a window? I mean, uh, so basically the big problem is these molds just, it's too much work to get to pull these molds off the shelf if they're even still around to dust, dust them off and get them working again. It's just not worth the effort. I mean, that's it. That's a huge part of it. And then, break, you know, breaking it in, it could take, I mean, really, it could take like 10 cycles to get it to run a decent boat. I mean, you could also get lucky and it might run one the first off. But, you know, yeah. 10 cycles, that's a whole day, basically, to try to yeah. get it running. And that's a lot of oven time, a lot of people time, all that. Right. And so, you, you know, you want, you got to feel fairly confident that you've got enough sales to make all that worthwhile you know i mean so, a kickstarter so what happens also come with, yeah yeah they have to front you know, the also you're pushing aside other production at you know how it's going right now there's only a finite amount of production available and to try to bring something in and mess up production for a day is a big deal at, especially this time <laughs> right now um right yeah and so in the past you know we've done all the one you know the question always is session session plus really yeah and Unfortunately, there was a cycle in time where we recycled stuff, and those got recycled, and that's a sad. Oh, <laughs> dude, you could have sold a dozen of those. <laughs> <laughs> you could have sold well ten. We always talk about tens. Yeah, we could have sold tens of them. Man. Tens of them. If you yeah, had, I know that one. If you had that mold around, you could sell an NFT for that mold. I guarantee it, dude. <laughs> Non-fungible token. It's not. It's not. A, it's not a digital download. It doesn't have to be a digital thing. It's a certificate of ownership. You can do it with like art and paintings and whatever. It's trust me. <laughs> can we talk about moving forward instead of looking in the past. Can we just do that for a minute? Let's do that. Where are we going with whitewater boat designs at Liquid Logic? What's happening? My kid has an alpha. Loves it. By the way. I'm sorry. What was that? My kid has an alpha and loves it. By the way. Awesome. That's great. Yeah. yeah, he's he's very pro alpha. Does he have the big one or the smaller one? He's got to be the little one. Yeah, he's a. I mean, he's sixteen. <laughs> hmm. uh, I don't know where should it where should uh, boat design go with Liquid Logic? What should we do next? You like how he flipped that around on you there, <laughs> Weld? <laughs> I think you need to do an updated half slice boat that can run a little bit harder white water. That feels more should go in the other direction. I think it should be 10 feet long with more of like a planey hull, like a surfy, pivoty boat, but faster, longer. Uh, my updated my super is, sport. If it's, if it's like if more it's like a in the front. high performance brap, I would use it as my primary boat in most cases. But a second or third boat is bad. A third boat probably right, and then you gain sort of rarefied territory there. You know. Yeah. Now, I, I mean, the ten foot boat sounds so fun, and I I know I would love it, but I I agree. I don't I don't want to haul that thing around all the time. I mean, yeah. it, it would be super fun, but I 
I'd be like, I want to get that lighter boat. <laughs> I mean, do you guys consider that? I mean, you're designing a boat. I mean, at some point, there's only so many people who own three or four whitewater boats, right? And you're now you're taking a small audience and make it even smaller. And now you're making a boat for a very small crowd. And most of the people are getting on a pro deal anyway, or some some form of pro deal. <laughs> I mean, am I well, I think you're making that. Or no? You're What's making that? this into a self-fulfilling prophecy with the pro deals. It's like everybody's listening to the podcast and they're like, well, John Weld says everybody's getting a pro deal. I should be getting a pro deal too. Like, no, you're, I'm saying you're people making like 10-foot long half-slice boats are getting a pro deal. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. <laughs> okay. And so, then there's a couple of Adonis who want to be like the cool kids and they're getting them too. <laughs> no, I mean, I, de I definitely feel like you got you definitely have to hit your bases and we're certainly due for a new half-slice boat. That's for sure because that's a, that's a major... Amazing. Would you go more planning hall? Niche in our niche, yeah. Would you go more planning hall this time, right? I mean, I mean that that would be the fun way to go, especially for surfing that kind of stuff. That's yeah. And it, you know, planning halls are all the rage right now. Right, <laughs> just that's <laughs> corn. And how about creek boats? What are we doing with a creek boat? I mean, right now, like out here, oh, we're living on the alpha because it's we've just gotten rave reviews back, so we're gonna just keep riding that. Okay, all right. I'm trying to help you here, but you're not you're not you're not letting me. <laughs> I appreciate but out it. here it's the OG, right? Now I know that boat doesn't translate well necessarily to the East Coast, but that's what it is out here. Yeah, no doubt. And what do they do right and what are they doing wrong with that boat? Well, I mean, what I'm see I, I to be honest, I haven't paddled one. Um but what I see when I watch the videos is I see a boat that's floating high. Yeah. You know, it looks it looks um so therefore it's just easy to handle. If you're floating high, you can move the boat around yeah. the the bows up high, you know, and that's that's been a really cool revelation in the last few years, you know, well, more than the last few years, but that's a, that's awesome. You know, it's cool. It makes, it makes things easier. I was just, you guys, a lot of, you know, Eric niece, um, he was just in the shop picking up an alpha and he was just like, I got to get an alpha, man. Cause that's just makes it easier. You know, just, I feel one grade better, you know? Right. Um, and so that's a, that's a cool, you know, revelation in the last few years for sure. And those are the two main things I notice, you know, that that um, on top of the water maneuverability and big bow rocker. Those are the obvious, the obvious features that I see. Shannon, that's how well, I feel in the Alpha, you know, in Alpha 90. That's how I feel. If the, that thing just goes over everything. Yeah. I mean, it's yeah. Just yeah. What happened to the whole fear of big bow rock? Like we talked about this even in the 90s about being a little scared of that because of the waterfall trend. What what happened to big bow rocker being okay now? Well, I mean, I think it's just... I mean, people are breaking their backs for one thing, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's that's kind of what happened. I mean, didn't Tyler talk about this? How, you know, like the, the Nomad just was better because it didn't have, it didn't, it just pierced the, the, the base better, you know? But now those guys are all running big waterfalls with big bow rocker boats, aren't they? I mean, that's what I'm seeing. No, I'm I'm, I'm with you. I, I, I'm seeing people get hurt too. I mean, yeah, <clears throat> yeah. yeah. I, I think that like it's hard to make a boat for waterfalls because it's going to be totally different than ninety nine point nine percent of the other stuff that you're doing. Right. Yeah, to yeah. Totally agree. But that, I mean, that's totally what kept us away from that rocker for so long, you know, it was the, the, the worry everybody had all, all the people running hundred foot waterfalls. <laughs> all right. You need to make a, you need to make a waterfall boat for that crowd. So yeah. God, we, we're just getting <laughs> off on a tangent here, but let's just, Sorry about so, that. so let's say you got your boats. Okay. So what do you think your first boat you're going to get? And I'll just, I'll just kind of tell you mine. The first boat you're going to get is like your your shit running boat like you're like go anywhere boat 
hang on, let me check, let me finish before you go. And then your second boat is going to be play boat or half slice. For me, it's going to be a half slice. I'm going to skip out on the play boat. And then my third boat is going to be a race boat, race, race boat, and you know, and whatever. But I mean, what are your guys' three? What's your number one, Gelman? You were shaking your head when I said said creek boat. Well, I don't know. I, mean, I guess it depends who it is, right? Like it's it's. But like, I feel like if people are people who are starting in the sport, to me, it's like I feel like you're missing out on learning and missing out on fun if you're starting in like a really big, easy to paddle creek boat. It's like right. I would say number one boat should be like your half slice almost. Right. And like that's the boat I paddle almost all the time now. So like I guess I would say that's like your number one boat, and then your number two boat is like your expedition boat. Yeah, you know, like your easiest to paddle creek boat that you can put overnighter gear in. And then the third boat is obviously a surf ski. <laughs> <laughs> if I live out east, it's the, it's the half slice. From out here, it's definitely the, the, the creek boat first. But they're close. Super close. Yeah. Like I couldn't, I couldn't, I wouldn't boat unless I had those two. I, I got it. No, I would boat, but it would, that's, that's my minimum requirement, those two boats. I, I would I would totally agree with that. I'm a I'm definitely the half slice of the creek boat and you know, living on the green, it's you know, half slice is just fun to do, especially summer flows coming around. Um and now that it's running two hundred percent or hundred and fifty percent all the time, I'm very glad to have my creek boat too. <laughs> Man, we may finally see some low water shame. I know. First time in three or four years. Wow. <laughs> sorry 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 you guys yeah uh, anyway so what's gonna last question what's gonna happen with materials and boats we need we need a revolution <laughs> oh, god this is what since, do you got this is how many it's years good. we've been talking about this it's never yeah, going to happen i've been talking about Ever. that since i've been in the industry yeah what's gonna happen nothing i'll tell you something that i've been playing with lately is um uh mycelium and I've been growing, I'm starting to grow these <laughs> out of mycelium. So it's the root structure of mushrooms. And it you can grow it so that it's hard as a rock. It's really cool. And then you so you can shape it in molds and all that. So I'm going to make a mushroom kayak. How about that? I'll point out you're wearing a tie-dye peace t-shirt. <laughs> 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 Just so people out there know what we're dealing with. I was selling I don't know. I I mean, you know, there's there's been tons of exploration into, you know, we did the vacuum form stuff. We're doing compo- trying composite stuff out that's been done all Dude, over. You guys the have place. tried everything. I mean, <laughs> is it a money problem? Is it just there's an answer out there? It's just it's just out of reach financially for boaters and manufacturers alike. It it feels like it. I, to be honest, I haven't even gotten to touch some of the new like the aerospace stuff that's just totally out of my league that nobody has. <laughs> I don't. You know, it's out of my reach for sure. Um, I don't even know how they make it. So, <laughs> what about I, gotta, I, I need like, to explore like some more of that kind of stuff? But like, it, what it do does. You, it feels like money is the main thing. Yeah. What do you? What do? You, what kind of new aerospace stuff are you talking about, Shane? Like thermoplastics or like beyond yeah, that? Yeah, or? thermoplastics, and then also composite stuff that's in plastic as well. There's been there's been different developments there, and I, to be honest, I've just been, especially the last year and a half, I've just been like, I'm just trying to make boats, man. <laughs> Yeah, just get them out the door and on the what truck. What are you making the most of right now? What mo- what boat model? Uh, the Slayer Max Twelve and a Half fishing kayak. Yeah, that's my third boat. 
<laughs> yeah. But alphas, that's, in whitewater alphas for sure. Yeah, no question at all. We were talking earlier about we brought up uh, retailers doing repairs on various gear and things like that. Rather than just focus on you know materials and whatnot, do you see there ever being a whitewater kayak where you have these guts and you can order a whole of a different design and your guts are interchangeable or you can get a different high dollar seat or just ways to tweak out your boat the way you can you know tweak out a bike or whatever do you what about that in this industry yeah definitely yeah no no problem i mean the some of the like some of the parts um well for example all of our boats are retrofitable all the all the outfitting retrofits into a new boat an old boat they can you know that that's totally doable um we already do basically from the very beginning our, our, our outfitting now can retrofit into, into a session and a sessions outfitting can retro into probably even an alpha, you know, something like that. The hard part is like foam walls and all that kind of stuff, because if you've got to cut those differently and then those compress over time and then outfitting does rag out, you know, it gets, it gets all loose. Um, so you'd have to update that. But then as far as upgrading, it's, you know, it's just uh, development time you know, and seeing, and seeing a market that would work. Cause I mean, sure you can, you could do composites and all of that. Seats are kind of a nightmare in composites. Lewis, you probably broke a lot of seats. I, when we did, we've done a quite a few prototype playboats and composites and seats are just a nightmare to try to keep in those boats just cause there's so much torque and everything, but developing that stuff. I mean, obviously didn't, uh, was it Waka that developed all those, um, carbon seats for for their boats for races and stuff like that. I, they they did, and then but then they were trying to sell them for like six hundred euros or something like that, and it was like, there's that. Like that. That was the end of that. <laughs> yeah, it'd be What's, cool to get like three hole sizes. You know, you just go buy your boat. You know, and instead of putting like twelve hundred, fifteen hundred bucks into whatever. You know, you can just spend like an extra thousand and get like two extra holes you could interchange or something like that. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking, uh, I don't, you know, there's all kinds of things that well, are well beyond. You know, we, we actually do that. I mean, you, you don't, we don't set a price at the front end, but we have a price on the back end. For like you know, a replacement you, hole? Yep. Yeah. Do right. you offer that through retailers? Um, no, we don't. It's more of a warranty thing. Yeah. Big gear show or big gun show, or a uh, big big gear show or outdoor retailer? May this year? Do we need to go to any of them? How about next year? <laughs> we'll start talking about it. I don't have time to go to a show that this year. Yeah. You guys raising prices this year? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, good lord, our materials have skyrocketed. We've had big, big, big raising in costs. What's like going to be 20, MSRP? Twenty percent in plastic, something like that. What's MSRP on a Alpha in spring of twenty twenty two? I, you know, I have to, I'd have to go find a sheet. Twenty five hundred dollars. I, th- I think it, it's not that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was, it was twenty four thousand, right? It was right at a thousand. So, are we looking at twelve hundred ish? I think thirteen. Thirteen. Yeah, I think that's where we are. Man, I still think it needs to be around 15, 16. Yeah, I, I agree. That's that's 
definitely where we're heading. And I, I heard a discussion around the office this morning about another another little jump, but I, I'm not sure. Um, I haven't seen the latest on that. I had my head stuck in a fishing kayak this morning, so. <laughs> dude, I love those uh, pictures of your hair, Shane. Oh. I forgot yeah. all about that, dude. Chelsea actually showed that to me, and she was like, "Do you remember this?" And I was like, "Holy shit, yeah, I do." It was, uh, yeah, it was my last, my last hurrah of hair. I, I was like, I'm, I'm growing it until it's beyond my shoulders one more time, and then I'm shaving it all off slowly with different hairstyles along the way. <laughs> so it was fun. So to recap, before we let you go here, there the molds just disappear. They're not sitting around. I mean, maybe five years they sit around, maybe two. Well, it just depends. You know, like we've had molds stolen from behind the factory. We've recycled a few molds. There are all, there are, you know, there's still Hefe molds sitting out back there. Um, there's old wreck boat molds back there. It just kind of depends on the situation at the time. They're not, they're actually worth almost nothing as a recycled material. So it's kind of a pain in the ass to take a, you know, a 3,000 pound thing and take it to the, to the recycler um so there's it's, it's got some issues as far as that goes and then you know and we do every once in a while try you know we think about pulling it up um like and we've done it a few times it, it usually has not been fruitful <laughs> yeah i can see that all right well there you go there's the answer yeah. straight from the horse's mouth yeah uh, it's a mix mash of things that happen yeah. We need to get you a beeper so that anytime we have a question, a technical question, we can we get a hold of you. For sure, that'd be cool. I, I can't believe I could. your belt. Thanks for jumping on Skype, Shane. I tried to get your cell phone. I couldn't get it to ring through to the group call here, so I don't know. I gotta I gotta figure that out. All good, man. I enjoy it. You guys, right. have a great show. Appreciate it. All right, we'll talk to you later. Thanks, Thanks Shane. All right, boys. You know what? Let's just let's just do let's just. Colorado clapback. Mm. You know, let's just yes, hammer factor for another off. two hours. Like, I'm just ready to jump in another two hours here. I've never been <laughs> so charged. Hammer factor. Hey, hammer factor. This comes at us from Ian Foley. <clears throat> it has come to my attention that your purposely pompous podcast frequently takes pot shots at Colorado, rad all capitals kayaking. As a longtime Colorado boater, I feel compelled to set the record straight. Colorado has many exceptional attributes that make it a mink boater's paradise. With 300 days of sunshine and chihuahua-sized annual precipitation, Colorado cranks out six solid weeks of runoff a year. With a whole winter's worth of tantric expectations watching and waiting for moisture, Colorado boaters lead the nation in precipitation expectation. With the highest concentration of expert mink boaters in the nation, Colorado is a global innovator in plastic welding and boat salvage operations. With the kayaking industry perpetually on the verge of collapse, the Colorado mank boaters shredding their gear every year over razor-sharp mank ensure that we lead the way in the highest per capita replacements boats and paddle purchases, making us the savior of the kayak industry sales. Everyone who is anyone who isn't on a trip to Cali, the Pacific Northwest, or the Southeast knows that Colorado is the place to be. Every year, wannabe paddlers from all over the country flock to Colorado during runoff, proving that Colorado is indeed the best pit stop on the way to Cali. 
<laughs> Every year we find grungy Southeast boat boaters who say they run the green getting crushed on Gore Canyon like beer cans at the takeout party. Every year snobby boaters who left this mink paradise for greener pastures come back and complain about getting scratches on their creek boats or getting their hands cold. Well, enough is enough. Colorado is one of the best places in the country for a kayaker to plan to move to the Pacific Northwest. And its central location... <laughs> With an easy 17 to 24 hour drive to Cali, the Pacific Northwest, Idaho, and the Southeast, making an ideal location to stage national road trips for 44 weeks of our water. For the 44 weeks, our water sucks. Without us, you would have to drive all the way to Cali without a place to get your mank on. Show some respect. When you are in Colorado and break your boat, you might just need us to weld your gear up. And in a final note, while your podcast is entertaining, you clearly are underutilizing the best part of the show, which is Weld's sniper-style salty slams on random, unsuspecting, and undeserving targets. <laughs> Geltman's Eeyore-style updates lamenting the state of D.C. politics and crying NIMBY about Instagram bros enjoying Spirit <laughs> Falls could use a little sunshine. I'd also like to request that you get Forrest Noble on the show to share his Great Falls at Flood story, which has got to be one of the best damn kayaking stories I've ever heard. Keep up the good work. I need something to take my mind off the beating I just took raking myself over the mank on the drive home from the local rivers. Yeah. He's right on for email. I mean, I had to read that one in full because there was some time. That was a great email. Forrest Noble and I have some epic, epic paddling stories together. I feel like the only problem with having Forrest on is Forrest doesn't actually remember like where any of these things took place or like Oh, not true. Not true. He's he's a good storyteller. You remember some details of stuff that we did that I've long since forgotten about. I love that great fall. The high water Potomac story from Forrest. I've heard it from Forrest and I've heard it from Billy. And it's, uh, that's a classic. Yeah. Scott Anderson writes in and he requests that we choose a theme for each episode, finding a guest to answer questions based on that theme. He's got a can, lot can of... I tell you something that Forrest and I know what I used to do? Or Forrest used to do when we were kids? <laughs> I'm sorry to interrupt. But... Hang on. We'll get back to you, Scott. I, Hang on. I'm debating sharing this, but I have to. Forrest Noble, when we were like 16 at Valley Mill, he had a Suburban so he could drive, which was like a pot of gold, right? And he'd rip the Suburban through neighborhoods. And he did this thing called a moon landing. And I, I, <laughs> I, I shouldn't be saying this, but he, he would drive the Suburban into people's backyards in the night like over their lawn into their backyards and high beating them through their living room windows. <laughs> <laughs> they call it a moon landing. Valley <laughs> <laughs> <That was> Mill! <laughs> Old group. Okay, sorry. Let's go back to your, your email. I don't know where to go with that. Yeah. Um, I mean, that's just a little intro into the paddling escapades. Scott Scott Anderson has a lot of good suggestions in here. Um, who gets the name of Rapid? Um, the person who runs a force first. Can you think of any yeah, examples? I, I know Greg Gellman's all about the organization, but I'm just, I just agree with it, trying to structure this show. This, yeah. this is a wild pony that cannot be tied down. <laughs> He's got some good suggestions in here, though. Um, I think we can go ahead and, and like, Give it in, like, give the show a name and completely ignore it for the rest. Of the I mean, we, we give our 
what's, what's the intro of this American life? Each week we choose a theme. Something, something, something. No. <laughs> Chapters or whatever. Yeah. Okay, we went over fate of uh, kayak molds. Um, here, dear, dear Mr. Weldon, IR, please hear. Thank you. This is from uh, Carl Smith. I wanted to play it, but Lewis said I couldn't play wow. it. Let's read, uh, if you want to get some answers to questions you're asking, you just just write us an email. Read uh read Leif's email. Which one is that? The title the title raises? He asked us to keep it on. Yeah, he but... sent me this <laughs> service thing. Go ahead and read. Leif it. is a local paddler here in the gorge. Unmistakable. Where's it at? Which one is this? I don't see it. It's in the show, uh, worst return request ever. Oh. Sent as a PDF. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see what it says. I don't even. Dear Mr. Weld, I'm writing to request an immediate replacement of an IR product I own. If you recall, we spoke about this matter in Mr. Fusilli's driveway approximately 10 to 25 months ago, at which point you, re you reassured me that although you had to check with the owner, it was virtually a sure thing that you could get me a replacement and it should be no problem. The time has come to deliver on those promises. <laughs> the product that crossed out, I would like replaced you will be replacing <laughs> is a short sleeve women's thick skin in the lilac blue color scheme size XL. I noticed during a recent visit to your so-called shop that this particular choice is discontinued, but I'd be willing to accept just about any blue colored replacement. The reason that this particular replacement is necessary is that po the poor quality garment has started to fall apart. In particular, there was a small tear near the left armpit from when I fell on some bushes. There are some slight complications. I didn't keep my proof of purchase because I actually won the original rash guard for free by taking fifth place at freestyle competition. <laughs> However, there is an abundance of documentation of my glorious victory. Just Google my name plus Montana Kayak Rodeo 2005. <laughs> I don't remember the actual name of the rodeo, but it was definitely in Montana. Furthermore, I won't be returning the actual physical rash guard in question per se because I can't find it. <laughs> <laughs> for this reason I also cannot supply any photos of the damage I have included a photo of me, <laughs> of me paddling in the original thick skin although obviously you can't see the rash guard underneath the dry top <laughs> in fact speaking of photos I should mention that I'm sponsored by one of your main competitors <laughs> see dry top in <laughs> so if you buy our logos from the new replacement that would be great <laughs> My address, address is below, as is my email, so you can notify me when to come pick up my thick skin, which will hopefully be soon. P.S. I purchased one replacement earlier today with money, and the employee, John, who helped me, was extremely unhelpful. I had to wait several minutes while he cut the sleeves off and rehemmed the long sleeve top that we converted to short sleeve. And when I changed I my did. mind about the color, the second one he hemmed took even longer. P.S. Found the original rash guard. It appears to be an NRS Hydra skin. <laughs> That's not good. <laughs> he actually hits a lot of tropes in there. I'll, I'll give him credit for that. <laughs> Any uh, single one of those sentences could have been from an actual return. <laughs> did you replace it? I did cut the sleeves off his rash guard. He went a short time. <laughs> cut the sleeves off and hand him for him. <laughs> Oh, let's see. Forward Hammer Factor John Grace's new shuttle rig, a inflatable SUP board. I didn't quite get that one. 
Um, I guess they inflated it with helium, so it floated. Um, man, we got a, what's Big Ben? Um, my darling wife would probably like it. Okay, here we go. Hey, folks. Uh, this comes at us from Corin Kelly. Uh, really enjoyed the insightful and funny Benny interview. My darling wife would probably like a nudie ben, Benny calendar, though she'd say um, I'd want the premium version. She took about 50 photos at Benny at Skookumchuck and two of me blowing off the wave. Her excuse was that he was on it a lot. Sure. <laughs> We had made a once-in-a-lifetime visit to Canada, and I persuaded the family to take the camper to Egmont via a kayak store on the wrong side of Vancouver. I knew the tides would be the biggest of the year and wanted to get some lead in days, but the way things went, I got there on the biggest evening. I was nervous. Got on the water too early, passed the rapid, thinking it couldn't be. It paddled on for a time before realizing my area. By the time I worked my way back, the wave was rocking. My wife and young kids were there by then, wondering where I had got to. My son got really overexcited and wanted to jump into the water. Oh crap, that was scary trying to keep him on the dry rock. Eventually got a few wobbly surfs in, amazing to sit there and wonder at the flow, clear water, etc. Then something shimmered above me on the rock like a Greek god. Flowing hair, the man, time stopped. Even the wave took a deep breath. I said hello and introduced the kids to him. Then we watched the best surfing I had ever seen up close and with my own eye. A, a really genuine guy. Great show, lads. Any chance you could talk to some of the best whitewater coaches to discuss trends and how they are matching boat trends? Could you talk to Rush about shoulder rehab and getting back on the horse? I watched his all his LW runs and his Norfolk runs and his amazing hand roll off of Cherry. Clearly, I have hero worship issues. Corin. God, dude, the Hammer Factor audience is so much more talented than we are. We got some good emails. We should, uh, I like that idea about having some like kayak coaches on. Yeah, me too. I think that'd be, uh, super valuable. How about Sylvan? That'd be awesome. I, if well, we get I know somebody. We know somebody who knows Sylvan. One of our fellow downriver people or downwinder people. Back yeah. to downwinding. Yeah. That would be a good craft for some lithium ion technology. Aiden, where are you going? This is Aiden. You want to say hi? What's up, Aiden? Welcome to the Hammer Factor, man. He's, oh, he's the alpha boater. You got the uh, the smaller one or the bigger one? Smaller one or the bigger one? I have 75. Still pretty big, though. Okay. Pretty similar size to like the 9R2. Okay. There you go. But I love it. It's great. I All right. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Just, Justin Varney comes in. He says, hey, crew, I have been a bit behind on episodes. Last one I listened to, I think it was the one you put out. You brought up the term title bore and well throughout the uh, shuby up in Nova Scotia without naming it specifically. Living in Maine and being into surfing a sea kayak and playing with surf kayaks, tide races are a huge part of my whitewater in the summer when local stuff no longer runs. If you want to chat about it, I'm all about it. It's something we chase regularly from Nova Scotia to New Brunswick. St. John's Reversing Falls, although I admit it's the one I haven't gotten to yet, to Sullivan Falls, the Sheepscot, Blue Hill Falls in Maine. It's kind of a staple here. 
I can also write you a really long email if you want. Just always been stoked on the podcast and got all jacked up when you mentioned one of my favorite parts of paddling. Thanks, Justin. I'm kind of fascinated by the tidal wars. I think that's I am too. I kind of would like to have this dude on and hear about the, I feel like the East Coast ones. I mean, like Scoop's obviously super famous, but I feel like there must be more. And like, I feel like a lot of them are just under the radar and want, want somebody to come spill the beans to us. We kept threatening to stop at the one in Nova Scotia on one of our expeditions up to Newfoundland back in the day, but never did. You see pictures of that one, uh, like the bitches, I think it's called, in Wales. I've never heard of that one. They had like the freestyle worlds there in the 90s. But uh, I don't know, it looks more, yeah, it looks like good, like good serving. It seems like some of the other ones to me, like you see pictures and it really just looks like a lot of like really fast moving water without like surfable features. But maybe that's just my ignorance. And then we have one here about um, foamy boaters. Um, I don't want to read that one. We have some surprises coming up there. Um, I don't know, boys. That about puts us to the end of this show. I'm going to have to bump this one into two because we are at two hours and 31 minutes. This is like hardcore history. I feel like we've covered like the entire saga of the Japanese rise to power pre-World War II. Great guest. Sage was great. Matt was great. It's a good show. Shane, come on. Special guest Shane, clearing it up. Everybody's raising prices. We got to talk about that. Well, yeah. Gonna get a lot more expensive to go kayaking. And then we had an Instagram video. It was on the Astral page. We're not getting into that, are we? Let's hear my show show notes. That's a whole thing. That's a whole other show. Yeah. All right, everybody. Welcome to your favorite part of the show. This is Rants and Raves, where your host going a little bit of rant or a little bit of rave about something that makes them as excited as an NFT. Or as <laughs> unexcited as a special warranty repair. Um, who'd like to kick us off here? Galtman, you prepared? I know, I know you've been thinking about this, keeping notes. I'm not really prepared, but I'm going to rave just about our emailers, man. Those were some great emails today. That Waves warranty email and the <laughs> Colorado email, those were all time. And it's, I just, I'm, I don't know. Like, I feel like when people send in really funny, well-crafted emails like that, it really uh, makes my day. So thank you guys. <laughs> I mean, it's fun when we do them on the show, but when they first come through and I read them, it's just like, I don't know. It's like eight hours of endorphins. It like gets me through a day. <laughs> yeah, I want to rave about, uh, I, I should even bring this up because it's like raving about living in the gorge because you it could make, your life miserable in turn, but I want to rave about world-class kayak Academy where my kid yeah. just finished his first year. This is, this is such a new angle for, that I've heard. Yeah. From you on this I, yeah. I mean, to be fair, I really was honestly dismissive, but it wasn't part of the agenda a couple of years ago, but after Aiden's experience there, I, I, I it, it was great. I mean, p- pandemic aside, you know, where all schools were kind of messed up, the amount of attention he got, from the teachers was impressive, but he's just a different person after a year of school there. You know, he's just a different kid in a better way. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, and we went to graduation ceremony, you know, he didn't graduate, but it's a whole school thing. 
and hearing the stories and hearing teachers talk, it, it, it was cool. And we're entering an era, I think, where people are rethinking traditional education more than they ever have before. Like, what does it mean to go to college? What does it mean to go to high school? I'm not saying you won't go to college or you won't go to college, you go to rural class, but I, I, the era of that kind of school is, is coming, I think. You know, when you start looking at, like, the world that we grew up in, where it was a drive to get to college and, you know, university for me at least was eight or $8,000 a year, you know, that whole career track made sense. But when you're spending, you know, $300,000 to send your kid to college, what, what does that mean now? You know, what's that going to get? What, what's going to happen with that? You know, anyway, I don't want to dive too far into that, but uh, shout out to that program for sure. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. We can get way in the weeds on that one. Yeah. I'm going to rave. Oh, go ahead. I was say, we should have Capo on one of these days. Yeah, Capo and I had a very – he's a smart guy, obviously, and we had, he's, a, he's a guy who runs the, the program, and he does a bunch of schools. They just do kayaking. They do biking. Or they do windsurfing. They do climbing. I, I can't – I don't know anything about those programs, so I'm just talking about the kayaking. But we had a very short but in-depth and intriguing conversation right before graduation, um, talking a lot about what we're just, I was just mentioning now about schools and stuff like that. Um, so, hmm. Hmm. I'd let, I, I mean, what do you? I mean, what do you think? I mean, you're you know suddenly Aiden's running you know like doing truss laps like it's running you know class two and the confidence he has in his boating is amazing. He saw he went to Costa Rica or to uh, Ecuador and spent you know a month or six weeks in Ecuador, um, you know paddling. I mean, what do you think, Elman? You're of all people, you have the most traditional education of us all. You know, private school. Yeah. I mean, big college, you know, it seems to me like in a lot of ways, education is turning into like, there's like two tracks, right? There's like going and like getting an education and then there's going and like getting like career preparation and like the degree to which those things seem to be like becoming siloed to me is, it's kind of just, I don't know, like it kind of disturbs me in a lot of ways. It's like, you know, like when you go to college, like you should like read the classics and like you should be able to you know, write well when you come out of that. But and is that worth $300,000 now? I mean, I, I guess like leaving the price aside, like I just, it just seems like there's such a divergence between people who are doing these like really like technical programs focused on getting some particular job or going into some particular line of work and just like having a general education. And it's like, to me, the idea that you're, you know, like when you're on this like career track to me, like then it's like, it is very much strictly like a ROI proposition, right? It's like, does this make sense financially? And then there's like, you know, like, what is it worth to you? Or like, do you have the means or whatever just to like become an educated person because you see value in that. And it's like, I don't know, it's sort of sad to me that those things seem to be so, you know, that it, be, that it is so expensive just to have a good, well-rounded education. And also that, you know, like there are people who are coming out of college who, you know, don't have that. It's like, it's kind of a, I think society loses something when people are not, you know, don't have like a well-rounded education. I agree. I mean, I've, I studied English. I mean, I have to talk about a little yeah. arts degree. I, studied so, so did I. I don't have a regret at all for the money I paid for that degree. It was, it's unbelievable. Right. Uh, I can write better. I can read better. I have, you know, I treasured that education, but it's just so much more expensive now. Right. And it's also like, I mean, to me, the thing about so much of it, too, is like if you're not very, you know, like some people, I think it's like you can go to college or whatever and like 
somebody will just like lay out the things for you to do and like you do them and then you will have this education. But like, that's not the only way to become an educated person by any stretch of the imagination, right? It's like you can read and you can like have these experiences and like do all these other things. And like, you know, I think sometimes there is like too much emphasis on like, do you have the piece of paper that says you like went here and did this? Like, it seems kind of, uh, I don't know, it seems kind of ridiculous sometimes. I mean, I look at the Markovs as one example, you know, they run Kaleva, definitely non-traditional approach to education, right? But I mean, they have this gigantic, successful, sprawling business across that encompasses basically all of <laughs> Western Montgomery County, you know? Totally. And it's like, I mean, I guess part of that sort of like divergence between that like career training focused education and that sort of like classical education is it's like, I don't really, you don't really know anymore. Like somebody just because they graduated from college or whatever, it doesn't mean that they're, you know, a good writer or, um, you know, have read the classics or thought about philosophy or whatever. And like, it almost devalues the thing, the, you know, the college degree to the point that it's like, and to be fair, the wicked kid, all the, every wicked graduate that I talked to and, they stayed at her house pretty much for like a week afterwards. There was like <laughs> 16 kids here hanging out, but all of them were going to college. So it wasn't like mutually exclusive. It wasn't like if you go to Wicca, your future education is doomed. That wasn't the case at all, you know, and not bad colleges either. So, I mean. I, I agree with a lot of what you guys are saying. I think that I think that you can get a good, well-rounded education online, and there's several different ways to do that. But one thing that a lot of universities offer that is just irreplaceable is access to professionals, access to great scientists, access to people who are leading the edge on physics or writing or whatever that you can only get. It's like having a great coach. You know, it's like watching somebody who's a true professional kayak is so much more valuable than someone who's a class three person tell you how to kayak. Do you know what I mean? But then, so, but you have to, you have to balance that against, you know, the 30 some year olds who work for me who still have college debt. No, yeah, I, I 100%. Right? I'm just, I'm just stuck talking about the value of what the university offers that you can't get from basically an online program or a community college program or things like that. And you're right. You have to balance out what that, if that's worth yeah. it, you know, so. And I think there's just, I mean, there is so much, I feel like there's so much opportunity to become educated doing things other than going to college, but like you have to be like purposeful about it if you're doing that, you know, like, I guess I think about it in the context of like, you know, like hiring somebody and it's like, I'm not saying you have to have a college degree, like for sure, but like I, mean, I expect under what you to be functioning at a like way higher level than somebody who just graduated from college and like how you got there, if you got there through some novel pathway, like I want to hear about it. Like that's awesome. And like, I commend you for doing that. Like, I'm not saying I need that piece of paper, but like if you're going to, you know, reach that level of education without going to college, like you're going to have to, you have to tell the story. It's going to take, it's going to take some doing, you yeah. know, it's like, you're not going to just like get there by like drifting along. Mm-hmm. I mean, under what circumstances would it, besides going to law school, would it make sense going to Georgetown and studying history right now? If you're really independently wealthy or if you got a scholarship. Right. Yeah. But that's it. Yeah. I mean, the days of going to history because you're going to just come out as a, as a well-rounded liberal education. 
those days are done. That's sad. And, and maybe right. Yeah, go sad. And try and, and try and monetize that. Oh, and then there's a whole nother step of how this education, why it's so expensive, the whole system. You know, there's just. But as a parent with two kids who are getting ready to go to college, I mean, I think about this a lot, right? And I can say for sure my thoughts about this before world class were very different than after world class. So you're leaning much towards, much more towards a non-traditional education, or you see the values of that much more than you did just. I'm saying it's ago. part. It's on the table now. Yeah. To me, that's something that's that's on the table. I agree. With sure. you. I agree with you there. I'm, I'm not saying it's right for everybody. You know, like my younger kid, I think he's he's going to thrive in regular school. But that's all. Yep. And saying that it's on the table for someone who comes from, you know, parents who were in the education. My dad was a college professor, right? To say that that kind of education is on the table now says a lot to me about that program. I guess that's what I'm. What do you at. mean? What do you mean on the like? What's on the table? It's a viable option. Like if what? you asked me, like if you asked me five years ago if I was going to send my kid to world class, what would I do? I'd be like, huh, no. no. Oh, okay. You're talking about world class. I thought you were talking about yeah. some old. No world class. Yeah, world class. Got it. Okay. Yeah. Well, I'm going to shut us down here with a rave. Um, I'm going to rave about the diversity of disciplines in Whitewater. I got a squirt boat, borrowed a Bigfoot squirt boat, and went up to a place, Cowbells, the other day. And it was low water. No one else was there. Zinned out for like three straight hours, just tweaking out on little waves and seams and... It was just so good for someone who's been kayaking so long to just get like a fresh rush like that when you just switch it up. I'm just going to rave, rave about is that. Is your elbow doing better? It is doing better. I've kayaked a few times, done a few. I you called me to ask for a left hand control paddle a couple of weeks ago. I thought I was done, dude. I left the doctor and I thought I was done. So what's, what's the status now? Well, let me show you. No one can see this, but do you see that? Yeah. That bump right there? Yeah, is it your elbow or your wrist? Well, the problem is right here on my elbow, but these tendons are what pulls your wrist back like that. And you can see that that bump hits right there. You see that? Yeah. And so what happens is every time I feather on that hand, it's a hard stop on my tendon. And so it just has all kinds of pressure right there. And so basically I went to the surgeon. He was like, well, you can just use your other hand as a control paddle. And I was Bingo. Like, <laughs> I was like, oh, well, I'll just have to talk to Will about that. Are you doing it? I, I don't two, know. I have two lefty AT pals in my garage right now. Right now, I'm just kind of managing it. I'm doing a lot of rehab, a lot of what do they call it? You don't. I'm doing a lot of a rehab. zero degree offset is what he's doing. Let's just get to cut to the chase. And I do have a zero degree offset paddle on order. So, God help right. us. We'll see how it works out. We'll give you a, uh, a special dispensation for that. Bottom line, I'm back on the water, so I'm beyond stoked and. I think I will have to. I don't either. I'm gonna have to get surgery or do something different. I'll, it'll never be just the way it was. That's for sure. Are you are you gonna be able to paddle when you come up to the North Fork? I think so. My goal is can we, to. Can we go packing together? Yeah. Are you coming up? I think I'll probably come over like Thursday night. Yeah. Um, I won't be able to. I'll be working Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but I'll be able to after I break down on Sunday. I don't know how long you'd be around, but. You're yeah. flying out, right? Who? You. No, I'm driving. You're driving. Mm -hmm. And then we're going uh, a week after that. The Hillikis 
and then we're going to stay out there and hang out and I'm going to do some, I'm going to, I'm going to make an Idaho trip out of it. The family's going to come out. We're going to tour around, have a little summer vacation. Yeah. You've worked hard enough. It's time for a break. Exactly. I know you're probably still reeling from that ski vacation this winter. It's <laughs> time just to relax. <laughs> Go get your surf ski and eat some granola, dude. <laughs> Jeez. All right. All right, let's shoot this. Let's shoot this horse. This thing is. Uh, it's last <laughs> should I just here. should I just throw it up let's as one long episode? Should I just like uh-huh. just be like, here you go, three hours, take it. <laughs> just take it. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of where we're at here. All right. Thank you for listening to Hammer Factor. Thank you for all the listener mails. Um, thanks for tuning in. Go ahead and hit subscribe on whatever link there that you get it. Check out our NFT um, <laughs> for the first episode. <laughs> and uh, we'll catch you next episode. Uh.